Welcome to Free Fall well, RC uh, Podcast. All my electronics are on UPS, so uh, as long as I don't lose the ISP, we're good. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right, let's get started then. <laughs> all right, you ready, Andy? Yep, I'm ready. Welcome to another episode of Free Fall RC Podcast. I'm Steve, and here with me is Andy. Hey, now. And we got first time on the show, Carrie Shirley. Hey, guys. Hey. Uh, Kevin couldn't make this episode as he's sick, and I think it's from too much partying at Urcha. That's just my opinion. <laughs> oh. get, get better, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I hope he gets better soon. Uh, <laughs> it sounded pretty bad at one point. Um, all right. This is episode number 187, All Things Gassers with Carrie Shirley. All right. So yeah. I wonder what we're going to talk about. <laughs> mm, Petro? Yeah, maybe. Camper fuel. <laughs> Camp fuel. That's what we're going to talk about. Camp fuel. <laughs> what I'm using now. Uh-huh. Uh, first, let's uh, catch up with our week, and then we'll kind of get to know Carrie and catch up with his week. Mm-hmm. All right. So you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. Cool. Um I went out to the club field Friday evening uh, to do some flying. I was kind of planning on just doing a bunch of flights back to back because I got out there and there wasn't anyone there. Um, yeah, this club, not a whole lot of people fly. But as a, after as I landed my first flight on the Whiplash Gasser, mm-hmm. uh, a thunderstorm started to roll in. I was like, well, I I looked at the radar and it didn't look too bad, so I just thought, well, I'll wait it out. And sure enough, it was over in probably 10, 15 minutes. So I got some more flights in on the uh the XL Power. Did a couple low head speed flights, about 1500 RPM, I guess, just doing the slow 3D cruising around, doing a bunch nice. of autos, kind of really getting comfortable with that model. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I really didn't do much else over the weekend. That's the only day I got to fly any. I had the kids here, so hung out with them. We did a few different things, but nothing really RC. Yeah. Um, sounds like you had a big weekend, though, Steve. What have you been up to? Um, really just one day, but real quick before we go into that, uh, mm-hmm. how much, what flight times were you giving for your low head speed? Uh, about Curious. seven minutes. Nice. Okay. And that's at what head speed you said? Uh, it was around 1500, 15. I think. Okay. Seven. Probably could have got a little more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't pushing it. Did, did a bunch of autos and just the slow 3D and circuits and just kind of practicing, goofing uh-huh. off. No, you know? yeah, yeah. I did a, I did a low head speed flight on my Goblin 500. I mean, low for a 500. I don't know what it was, 2000 or something. Yeah. Um, cool. But I got set, oh, I got over seven minutes, and I was quite impressed. I mean, you know, from a little five thousand pack or forty five hundred mm-hmm. to get that mm-hmm. much flight time out of a five hundred. Yeah, that's why even my normal flying, I I tend to stay on the lower side mm-hmm. of the head speed, like nineteen fifty or so. Yeah, just because you get so much more flight time by yeah. just lowering the head speed a couple hundred yep. RPM. Yep, and if you have the right pitch, it still feels pretty good. You know, yeah, you can it do feels all your great. Maneuvers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, for my week, I flew on Sunday. I had a great day, friends. We, uh, it was kind of an impromptu type of little, became like a little fun fly. You know, it was probably about 
let me let me kind of start naming the names. So it was me, Rob, and Devin McClellan, um, Ed Johnson from the Hooligans, uh, Greg Barbuda, uh, Charlie Crespo Sr. Who else was there? A couple of their Did local you, club members. You went up to I went to Rockland. Ed's club? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Up, yeah up you had a Rockland. TFR, didn't you? Yeah. So we went up there and, um, yeah, it was cool. You know, we had like seven or eight guys, you know, all flying helis, just, you know, really having a good time there. Um, they kind of have two flight lines. So it wasn't too bad with, you know, having this many people there because mm-hmm. they, they fly one at a time, but because there's two sides to the flight line, um, it's great because then two people can fly at the same time basically and still have the whole field to themselves. Okay, so nice. Pretty nice, yeah. Like the parking lot's in the middle, kind of like how uh, Virginia set up, but just very sm- on a smaller scale. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I redid my setup on the Kraken. I was, I wasn't very happy with the way it was flying, so, um, mm-hmm. I kept on messing with the settings and got to a point where like I was lost with the settings. <laughs> you just had it all screwed up. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? Let me reset it and start tuning it again from the base like V bar setup. And, um, I got it to fly definitely a bit better. Uh, so I still need to do a little bit more tweaking on it, but I'm getting a little more and more used to it and happier about it. Um, okay. I actually turned the tail rate down slower than the stock setting because it was too fast for me. So it's just kind of really? interesting. Yeah. Like the, the standard rate is a hundred, I think on the agility yeah. for the tail. And I turned it down to like 95 just to slow it down a little okay. bit. It was just whipping around way too quick for me, for, for me to get my timing with the cyclic and tail together. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I had tons of flights on the Goblin 500, several flights on the Kraken, and then I, you know, the rain, a storm was coming, and, you know, so I was like, oh, let me, you know, I got two charge packs for the Black Thunder 700. Let me do one flight. Uh, Devin comes up to me, he's like, let me see some fast Elro TikTok. So I'm doing like banging him out, and he's like, oh, you could do faster than that. And I was like, <laughs> I-, I could do faster elevator TikToks because I'm more used to that. Uh-huh. And like I was doing it and it was like stuttering the heli. Like it wasn't really moving, but it was just like almost like a crack maneuver because it was so quick. Okay. It didn't have time to actually go anywhere. <laughs> it was funny looking, but <laughs> um but then I go and I was flying and I was doing Elrond TikToks again pretty quick and I flipped out of it. I so like I do Elrond TikToks, nose right, and then I do like a, a quick one, you know, a full three sixty flip to get back upright and and then I had no control. Oh shit. So it went in. Um, probably around like 60 or 70 feet in the air. It wasn't like too high up, but it wasn't also too low. And like the motor shut off. I had zero control on okay. the cyclic. So the disc was pretty level. So it came down pretty flat, but it flopped. Like it just fell on the ground. So it went into fail safe and yes. the motor shut down and everything. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and I I didn't have any cyclic or collective control, so I couldn't auto or nothing. Like I was banging the sticks, so nothing was happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you lose power, or what do you think happened? I think my Neo rebooted on me in flight. Um, oh dang! I don't know if that's uh, an issue going around or what. I, just, you know, I haven't heard much about Neos having any issues, but you know, this is a Gen One Neo, so it's pretty old. Yeah. But um, yeah, it. It rebooted because as it was coming down, I heard the, I heard my radio go into, um, the telemetry screen where, you know, when you disconnect okay. your Neo. Right. And then it booted back up into initialization. <laughs> oh, dang. Um, but I mean, so this is a black thunder, not a sport. It's the carbon frames, you know, 
Um, I had my custom orange havoc canopy on it. So that got a little damaged. The canopy got the, the boom stayed on. Okay. The tail fin didn't break. Nothing got bent. Nothing popped off. So like, I didn't even break, uh, main blades, you know? Oh, wow. But you got out easy then. But I did break one frame side by the motor mount. Those little tabs that you, um, basically screw in the motor mount on the side. And, um, and on, on one side and the other side, there's a, there's like a one or two layers of the carbon fiber cracked by the front landing gear mounting point. And I have the, the white, um, I guess it's the black thunder sport landing gears, but the white versions. So they just bent. They didn't even break or snap. Yeah. They just bent. But when it bent, it bent the, the, it's funny looking. I should have taken more pictures, but I was just like, if the rain's going to come, I got to go. But, um, the the white skids in the front bent enough that the skid pipe went through the canopy in the front, like by the you know side nose of it. It's Damn. Was, yeah, it's such a weird like I don't know got how that impaled. happened. It got impaled by itself. Yes, <laughs> so you know bending it back and like I'll I'll replace it for sure because I you know I just ordered a replacement in case you know they're they crack or there's a hairline fracture. I don't want to you know risk it um, when I do like skid bumps and stuff, but um. Yeah. So, so that broke. I, I did lose one servo. Um, one servo horn got jammed and I think that jammed up the servo. And by the time I got out there, it basically shorted the servo out. Oh. So it kind of sucks because it's like, you know, my KC, yeah, my Kyle Stacy edition, uh, BKs. So one yeah. of them I have to, you know, replace, but no other damage, like no damage to the battery. I have the R2 buffer pack that's sitting on the bottom. No damage to that. Um, I'm going to replace like since the servo, basically went out like i don't usually i don't really trust the fly arms like the arms on the main grips um after a crash because they could get tweaked a little so i just ordered replacements for that the, literally i think the crash cost was like not including the servo the crash cost was like i don't know 40 bucks 50 bucks yeah you know retail <laughs> with the, well, because, gonna... well i'm i'm changing into the sport frame so granted okay. those are like $18 frame. So those are a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, or maybe like 60 bucks. I was going to say you got out really good by not breaking blades, but since you lost a servo, that kind of offset that. Yeah. But even then, I mean, still, it's not that bad because I could have broken servos and blades usually, you know, like, yeah. so, so I did get out really, um, unscathed from this because the boom, that would have been a hundred dollar or whatever replacement if that went, you know? Yeah, sure. And plus it's a custom set, so it kind of sucks, you know, that, that the canopy got damaged, but not the boom. So I'm not going to replace it. I'm just going to do some fiberglass patching well, I was gonna on it. I ask you if you're going to just keep running it or, or what? Yeah. I mean, from a distance, you can't tell the damage except for the, the little gaping hole by the, uh, just. <laughs> Put a couple of those Arrow Panda Band-Aid stickers on it. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, I actually want them. I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'll, I have the little piece that the, you know, that the, the skid went through and uh, it basically left a hole. So I'll just take that and patch that back into it and just shoe yeah. glue any cracks or anything that, so keep the, keep the flexibility, but make, make sure that the cracks don't, you know, um, crack more, right? Mm-hmm. To, to cause any more rips in it. Yeah. Parts are in order. You know, I'll get them before. I'll probably get them. They're already shipped, so I'll probably get it from Bert. I don't know tomorrow or Thursday. So before yeah. even this podcast gets released, I'll have the parts, which means I'll have it fixed before the podcast is released or by the weekend for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But now the question is, is I had an issue with the Neo, right? Like it rebooted on me. Like I see the logs. It doesn't say packet loss. It just loses power and it comes right back. And then, you know, when I disconnected, um, after I, after the crash, right? You disconnect the battery, make sure nothing else is, you know, gonna light on fire or anything, right? Disconnect the battery. Um, I noticed that like my telemetry said zero amps, zero everything, which means I didn't, you know, that was that it reset on me, came back, mm-hmm. started back, initialized, and then I disconnected. So do I trust this Neo? Uh, I don't know. It didn't land near the head. It didn't land like where I would think that the Neo case would get damaged or anything. Or, you know, there's no marks on the case, like on the Neo itself. Everything is exactly where it was and you everything could was pull good. pull it off the hill, you power it up and shake the shit out of it and see if it happens again. Like if maybe something's loose. I mean, I'll just leave it on the heli. <laughs> I'll just leave it on the heli and shake the crap out of the heli. Well, <laughs> because put I think it on that, your 500. I did get a lot of extreme vibe warnings, and that could have been when I was doing those crazy fast TikToks. So that's kind of expected. But even extreme warning and extreme vibration usually doesn't. Yeah, it shouldn't reset. That's yeah, weird. And you would think like, okay, well maybe I'm running a Scorpion ESC. Maybe I had some EMF, whatever backfeed into the uh, the ESC, which cut the BEC. But I'm running a buffer pack, so even if I lost BEC, the Neo yeah. wouldn't reboot. It's true. Right? So I'm trying to think of all avenues, and really I can't think of any except that out of nowhere the Neo reset on me. Yeah, that's weird. You said it was a first gen. Yeah. I have heard of a few rumblings of this happening, but it's all been on the newer ones. Yes. I I have heard on the newer ones, not on the first gens. So I have two new ones. You know, one in a box (laughs) and one in a case that I put the, the Lynx case on. So here's the question. Are they any better? <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, I have one uh, that was a non-V-Link, but Gen uh-huh. 2. So before they went through that whole hiatus of not having Neos. Yeah. And I've upgraded that to a V-Link. I, for some reason, for some, yeah, tr- feel like I should trust that better than the brand new one that was ordered post the new yeah, PCBs right. and all that, whatever the yeah, thing I is. Yeah, I agree. You know, so I don't know though. You're like, I don't, I don't want to lose faith in the flybrows unit, right? Because that's terrible. Like losing faith in any component in a helicopter will make you fly more reserved and, you know, and then any issue yeah. I, I do end up getting, I'm going to blame that, right? Like you're going to automatically go to that item. Like, damn it, Neil, that's the thing. Damn it, Mikado, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to do that, but. It's like, what do I do? Like, if I send it to Mikado and they say nothing's wrong with it, they're just going to end up making me buy another one because they won't ship it back. They'll just be like, we'll give you 20% off. I'm like, that means yeah. nothing to me. You know? So what do I do? I don't know. Stick it on your 500 and fly it on that. <laughs> and if it does crap out, it'll be less expensive. Yeah, but at what point do I, like, ah, see, I mean, I guess. But my 500 Neo, like, I've crashed that like a dozen times. I wouldn't want to yeah. put that back on. I wouldn't want to put that on my Black Thunder. Well, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I, I know, right? It's, it's like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a hard, you know, a rocket in a hard place, right? Like, what the fuck do I do with this? I don't know. I'm going to fly it. I'm going to try to test the Neo. I'm going to make sure that, like, I'm going to wiggle all the servo wires, make sure there's no, like, solder joint that's breaking and shorting out or something that might be causing it. I'll shake the whole right. damn helicopter, obviously, without the blades on or the motor running, but I'll shake the whole thing, like, like a madman and see if it, 
does anything if I can get it yeah. to disconnect. But you know, it is a little disconcerting that that this isn't this is an issue. You know, and yeah, definitely, you know, like my alternative to what go away from V control and Neos and go to either Futaba or you know Jetty in the Brain. I mean, that's really the only other options I can see. But yeah. ah, I'm so invested to this already. I don't want yeah. it. You know. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But on a brighter side, I bought myself a new 3D printer. Oh yeah, what'd you get? You know, I everyone knows that I have the traditional FDM type of printer, which is your your traditional filament yeah. um, type, you know, 3D printer, right? But I bought myself uh, an SLA. They call it an SLA LCD printer. Um, so it's a resin based printer. So it prints out of a bed of resin and not mm-hmm. out of filament, which means there's no, uh, like layer lines. Um, mm-hmm. the, the pieces, Much greater detail. way greater detail. Um, and also depending on like the type of thing you're printing, it could be stronger too, because there's no layers to, you know, that could possibly unbind. Um, you know, for small stuff, obviously I'm not going to print, you know, the bed, the, print bed is like three inches by five inches by six inches like it's small so i'm not printing anything big out but like little things like antenna mounts you know let me ask you like what did that cost i've heard they're super expensive so (laughs) here's a funny story too with this so i was telling my wife i was like hey babe i'm gonna order me a new 3d printer it costs 299 bucks it's 300 bucks it's super cheap you know for this type of printer and she's like Cool, go for it. And then she Apple pays me $300. So she sends me $300 to buy the printer. Uh-huh. So that day I'm like, okay, let me, I'm about to pull the trigger, buy it off of Amazon, get it on Prime, get it in two days. I love it. Right. And I'm looking at the reviews and they're like, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Like, damn, that's a lot of, you know, reviews saying it's really bad. So I'm uh-huh. like, okay, let me look up SLA printers on Amazon and rate them and then pick them up by rate, by the mm-hmm. best rating. So this one is the Epax X1 3D printer, SLA printer, and it's for $499, so it's 500 bucks. so it's a little bit more money. But since my wife paid 300 I was like, shit, all I got to dish out <laughs> is 200 bucks. But let's buy this thing. So I bought it, and I bought it with a uh, still less I than of, I was expecting. Yeah, normally. I mean, that's what a normal 3D printer cost a couple years ago. Yes. So. Yes, and even to this day, bad. the FDM types, depending on like which one you get, like an Ender would yeah. be like two fifty, yeah. three hundred. Um, so you're you're you know it's in that same price range, but this is now the the latest and greatest technology in um in three D printing, right? With the SLA yeah. resin base. So so I'm excited, you know, and and I'm I'm trying to see what else what I can print out. I'm just kind of printing like I'm actually doing a test print right now. Have you done anything? Or no, this was the first print. I didn't get a chance to set it up until now. And and the only thing that's different about it is you have to wear gloves and the resin Power. isn't. Um, it's not. It's it's toxic. Not. It's not not. It's not toxic. Toxic. But like you don't want to get on your skin. It can be irritating and stuff. I heard there's a lot of like post processing to do. Like yes, you don't just something. Don't yeah, know. you don't just scrape it off the bed and be like, here you go. Take the support structures off and be like, hey, here's the finished product. Now you'd have to first rinse off any of the resin that's not cured on it, and okay. usually you could use uh just a isopropyl alcohol bath and just put it in a jar and shake it up for a couple minutes and then and then okay. that should be good. Um, and then you cure it. You do a final curing in UV like light. UV light type yeah. thing? 
Yep. Yeah. So you could use a UV light and a bunch of mirrors and a little box to do it, or you could just leave it outside for like an hour in, in the sunlight, and that'll work yeah. too. Um, yeah. I'll probably build a little rotating um, turntable with a UV light that you can get for like forty bucks on Amazon, and, and fancy, and build it in like a little enclosure with mirrors so it refracts all the lights to every single angle, and basically gets to every crevice to cure it. But yeah, once it's cured, it's cured, and it's pretty strong, you know. Nice. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I'm just, you know, this new piece of tech and new piece of toy I want to play around with and see what I could do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's exciting for me to. Yeah, that's really know. cool. I'm interested to kind of see how you like that because I've been thinking about getting a printer. Mm-hmm. I need one. Like I just keep popping up things like, oh, I could 3D print that or yeah. that or whatever. Mm-hmm. So let's uh talk to Carrie and see uh. Ask him a couple questions to get to know him first, huh? Yeah. All right, Carrie, so so where do you live? Where are you from? So originally, I am from Louisiana, but now I live in the Orlando, Florida area. Actually, it's a place called Eustace, which is a little bit uh, northwest of Orlando. But generally, it's the, the Orlando metropolitan area. Nice, Eustace. I get a lot of my, uh, my, my helicopter parts from there. <laughs> Uh, you would because uh, BK Hobbies is about uh, a mile from my house. Nice. I could just I could almost walk there. Awesome. Nice. Uh, so besides a hobby, what do you do for a living? Well, I've been in IT management now for about uh, forty years. Nice. And uh, last December, the company that uh, both my wife and I worked for was acquired by a bigger company who decided that uh, they didn't really want to keep any of the senior people around anymore. So, oh, not so uh, nice. S- since then, uh, I I'm officially retired. Okay, nice. <laughs> Back to me, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, More time for helicopters. Yeah. Uh, that is very true. And you know, as who, as Whoa, I said, it's, I heard it's, that. Thund- it's thundering pretty big here. Uh, as most people who have retired say, you just you wonder how you ever had time to work. There's so much to do, mm. and it fills your entire day so quickly sure. that uh, it's amazing. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so how long have you been in the hobby? Well, believe it or not, uh, I got my first airplane when I was about 15. Uh, I don't even remember how many years ago that was now, but it was a Lanier Comet. It's uh, Lanier's not in business anymore, but they were the, I think, one of the uh, early providers of ready-to-fly or almost ready-to-fly aircraft. Oh, wow. Sure. They were mostly plastic and foam, okay. and they, they were big and heavy, but, uh, you know, you didn't have to build them from a million parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. million sticks and balsa sheets, yeah. Yeah, that was my first RC entry. I'd actually flown um, uh, control line planes when I was uh, less than 10 years old. We had a big oh, enough nice. backyard that I could fly that in my backyard. Nice. Cool. So what do you fly these days? Well, I do have some airplanes, but I spend almost all my time flying helicopters now, especially since I opened the business a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It uh, There's always something new to test. Uh, I enjoy flying them. I've, I've been in love with helicopters since I was about um, six years old when my father brought home a world book. Nobody knows what that is anymore, but before it's there like were… Encyclopedia? Yeah, Encyclopedia. 
<laughs> Before there was Google, there was the World mm. Book. I had a set and, of those. Do you really? Yeah. Well, it did. But yeah. Well, lo and behold, in uh, Volume H, there was an extensive amount of information about helicopters with transparent overlays and lots of diagrams, and I became fascinated with them at that early age and remain fascinated. I'm one of those people that could go to the uh, heliport and sit there and just watch them take off and land all day long. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, are you part of any clubs? I am. Uh, I actually co-founded uh, a club called the Orlando Radio Control Helicopter Society, or Torches for short. Uh, it's We founded that in 1988. So it is, uh, I don't know how many years ago that is now, but it's been a while. Uh, still fairly healthy. We have, uh, uh, about 60 members this year. That number goes up and down every year as do all clubs. Uh, it's been as many as a hundred and I think we had 150 at one point. That was wow. kind of too many. That was kind of too many for the, the site we had, mm -hmm. but it's unusual in that it's a helicopter only club. Yeah, um, to get that much. Wow. Yeah. The Orlando area is pretty hot and has been pretty hot for helicopters. I'm in another club called uh, Central Florida Sport Flyers. It's mm -hmm. actually about four miles from here. It's very close. So if I have something that I can't test in my backyard, which is big enough to do a fair amount of flying, mm -hmm. then I go over there and, and do what I need to do. But uh, those are those are the local clubs I'm in. Of course, I've been a member of Urcha since the year it was formed. My Urcha number is 31, so it's pretty low. I wow. <laughs> Wait, what's mine? That's awesome. I'm just curious. Uh, I think I, I'm like 5,000 something. Yeah, yeah. I just got mine because it's the first year. Um, not my first year at the Jamboree, but my first year they forced me to be a member. <laughs> and yeah, I'm in the 5,000, 5,600. Well, you know, a lot of people complain that, well, Urcha doesn't do anything for me. But mm -hmm. as as long as they are the special interest group, which I, I think there's some controversy over whether or not they are at the moment, but as long as they're the special interest group to the AMA, yeah. the more people that are in the club, the more voice they have. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, without much voice, uh, things like getting moved for rocket rocket championships happen. Yeah. I assume I assume that was connected in some way. I don't know all the details of that, but Yeah, I'm not sure the details either, but I feel like that's part of the reason why they forced this. I mean, they didn't force it, but they very encourage folks to not pay more money for the jamboree and to become a member. Um because then that way they have a little bit more bigger voice that they can they're representing and and you know. Right. And which is not a bad thing. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, so. oh, no, with, with all the government legislation that yeah. could happen, the more numbers we got, the yeah, better off exactly. we are. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so I know you, you and um, it's been kind of several folks, but you've been involved with the OHB uh, Funfly for for the 10 years that was around, right? I believe. Yep. Every one of them from uh, the first one, which uh, was at uh, – the RCACF site to the last one, which was at the Torches site. We saw it vary from, you know, around 100, mem 100 attendees to uh, over 350. Yeah. And then the last, last year we had it, it was in the 200s. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed, uh, I did make it to the, the last OHB, um, and that I noticed was that, like, there was a lot of folks from international coming 
to that event, which is amazing, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Bert, Bert Kammerer was really good at talking to his contacts all over the world. And, you know, coming to Orlando in December is pretty, uh, is pretty interesting to a lot of people. That's why I always tried to go. <laughs> yeah. Perfect place to go the 1st of December, Orlando. Mm-hmm. Every single year, we had really very good weather. Uh, there were a couple of times there where Sunday turned bad and, uh, you know, Friday wasn't so great. For the most part, Saturday was pretty good every time. And the uh, Torches has continued the event as a fun fly. So it's it's not commercial as OHB was. And it's, it's a smaller event, but mm-hmm. it still draws yeah. people in. And it's on the same general weekend. So the weather, for whatever reason, on that weekend, second weekend in December, has been pretty good just about every year. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was planning to come uh, last year and couldn't make it due to the the weather here where I am delayed my harvest. But uh, I've got it on the books for this year, so I'll I'll be coming down hopefully. Well, cool. Well, it is uh, it is scheduled to happen. Mm-hmm. Great, and it's a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I always had a lot of fun there. Cool. Uh, do you have any other questions, Andy? You want to go into before we get into the main topic of? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Let's talk about gas or helis. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about gas or stuff. Uh, so first, first of all, um, what about gas or type helicopters drew you to them? Cause you know, you're, you're, you seem to be the aficionado of, you know, gas or helis. I'm just curious. How did that like passion start? Well, I've always had uh, uh, an affection for com- internal combustion engines since, again, I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, I started flying. I got my very first helicopter around 1973. It was a Cavan Alouette. And uh, I actually never got it to, to, to even run. Uh, it's a long story as to why, but it never actually ran. Uh, but a couple of years later, I got a Dubro Shark. And that initially, as as best I can tell, that was probably the first gas helicopter, at least in the USA. I don't know if there were others around the world, but as best I can tell, that's the first company that actually put uh, an engine called an O&R, one horsepower engine, into this giant aluminum steel heavy ass <laughs> helicopter <laughs> right. and it did not it did not work very well so yeah. shortly thereafter they replaced it with an os max engine and that's the version i got and it actually ran and it actually flew um, so this was, is this is dubro the the company that makes like wheels and wheel collar oh, yeah. and stuff yeah, same they, guy. They, they used to make helicopters huh yeah, they had a guy on staff named Dave Gray, mm-hmm. and Dave Gray designed this shark, and he actually flew it like in AMA competition, and he actually won a bunch of competitions with wow. it because wow. he was because he was able to do loops and rolls with it, and there was a time when if you could do a loop and a roll, you yeah. were the world you were world champion. It yeah. was that it was that straightforward. But hmm. at, at any rate, Dubro Shark sixty was when I finally got you know helicopters to work, and um, I kind of dropped them for a while, and then came back with Schluters, 
uh, because Schluter oh, yeah. went, in, went into production. And I had a Schluter Helistar, and that was a collective pitch helicopter. That model worked. I learned to hover that model. I learned to fly that model around, do basic aerobatics with it. Um, and I flew Schluters for uh, until about 1986 when Miniature Aircraft came out with the XL. Mm-hmm. And I had one of the first 500 of those. Uh, it was a it was an interesting model. It was uh, revolutionary for its time. Had several of them, and then uh, around 19 uh, let's see 1996, I think they introduced a XL gas graphite model. Ooh. And I still have one of their catalogs, and I saw this thing, one of the original full-color catalogs that you may have seen from years ago. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Nobody does anything like that anymore. Nope. But the gas graphite was in there, and I looked at this thing and looked at this thing and looked at it for a couple of years. And finally, I bought a second-hand gas graphite from a guy named Peter Wales. You may know him. He is... Uh, one of the best scale modelers in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, he he had a gas graphite, and I bought it from him and uh, got it to fly, and that was kind of the beginning of all this. It kind of married my interest in internal combustion with uh, with helicopters, and I've had at least one one gas burning uh, model since then. Awesome. Nice. Kind of a long winded answer to your question, but no, 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 we love it. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. we love the history of it. You know, it was like I said, I never even knew Dubro made helicopters. You know, it's great. Actually, I I kept that helicopter because I I had a great deal of trouble flying it. It mm-hmm. was fixed pitch, like I said, yeah. and um, you know, I I didn't know how to fly a helicopter, much less a fixed pitch one. So if if you don't know what you're doing with a collective strange things happen so yeah. you know as, as soon as i'd get it light on the skids it would take off <laughs> and of course i'd pull the throttle back and then, then it would come down and hit the ground yeah and yep, yep. this was this was a common problem because dubro produced this really weird landing gear it was uh, an aluminum block in which you could mount about nine fiberglass poles each with a rubber ball on the end of it, sure. and they were all tied together with strings. Wow. And some of them pointed <laughs> down and some of them pointed up. Whoa. And the idea, the idea was that when you hit the ground, you couldn't tip it over because it would tip over on its side and hit yeah. one of these sticks, yeah. and right. the strings would all pull tight, and it wouldn't tip over. Well, it tipped over anyway. That was it was a, it was a great idea. But <laughs> yeah, I blew I blew up lots of blades with that thing, uh-huh. but it but it never worked very well. But I kept it until about ten years ago. I took it out of the box and built it, and put a new engine on it, mm-hmm. and used a, a real gyro because there were no gyros then. Sure, right. Mm-hmm. Tail control was a big round piece of cardboard to keep the air from swinging it back and forth wow. and it actually it actually flew and uh-huh. uh uh i landed it hard and it bent the main shaft and i threw it in a garbage can oh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> you're, least... not, you're not gonna get parts for it so. no no uh, no not at all but i would have just left it hanging in the corner of the shop like you know <laughs> a little memento um uh-huh. all right <laughs> do you, so do you only fly gasters or do you also fly electrics or nitros Traditionally, I've I've mostly flown uh, gas for the last several years. For a while, I competed in AMA competitions with um, 
XL Pros, and those were all nitro models. They were 60 and 90 size glow models. Those were uh, those were unbelievable machines, man. The, the XL Pro 2 was a sweet flying contest helicopter. That thing was so, so well designed for that. Today, it looks like a, you know, a, an, a, an erector set. There were so yeah. many parts and it was so complex. But for the time, it was... It was the thing to have, and they flew very well. Uh, but for the most part today, I fly gas helicopters, with the exceptions of uh, where we're making conversions for glow models, and mm, we've right. got uh, we've got one of those which we can talk about as we go along here. Nice, cool. Yeah. How would how would you describe your like your flight style, Carrie? Do you do any three D or mostly sport flying? You said you competed in the, mm-hmm. I assume, like the F3C type stuff. Yeah, I, today I would classify myself as a sport flyer. A lot of the maneuvers that I see people do, I'm not even sure how to do them. Uh, I can I can do some of the stuff on simulators. Um, generally, I don't fly enough to, um, to master any of that stuff. Right. But I do the things I enjoy. You know, I like yeah. to, to do loops and rolls and stall turns and auto rotations and try to do precision hovering and other things that are still ca- uh, competition related. And to be fair, a lot of people who are 3D stars today mm-hmm. can't do because, yeah. it, you know, I've, I've seen people that can do a perfect pyro flip and can't hover. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Steve. <so. clears throat> Well, I can't do either. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like me, Carrie. I I'm a decent sport pilot, and I aspire to 3D. But when it gets so fast and technical, I I just can't keep up. I'm just like, well, I don't know. It looks cool, but <laughs> I guess well, I'll just know, keep doing flips and rolls. You know, the guy that just won 3D Masters, I think he's 16. Mm-hmm. He flies 50 flights a day. Crazy. And, yeah, crazy. And is a just incredible pilot. Yeah. And he's doing things that, you know, some of the 3D stars that we all know their names are looking and going, how does he do that? So yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I started too late. I'll never aspire to that. Me but. too. Yeah. Video yeah. games. Video games apparently have made a big impact on uh, our youngsters' ability to control these things. Yeah, the yeah. reflexes and the hand-eye coordination is huge. But I, I do have to say that uh, video games have also taken our young away from this hobby because of that. That's you know, true too. That they don't get into the hobby as much. Like I video game since I was a kid, like since Nintendo came out, since the eighties. But you know, I got into the helicopters maybe. You know, like five years ago or so. And, you know, this week I'm turning 40. So it's like I got into it pretty late too. But <clears throat> I could see like, I could see the younger generation, like my daughter, who's, you know, I've, I've brought her out to the field and, you know, f- get, get some planes and like fly some planes and stuff. But she kind of goes back to the Nintendo Switch or the Xbox or the PlayStation. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of her true passion and hobby, I guess. You know, like her passion is, is, uh, is video gaming. You know, while it's like for me, I'm like, come on, enjoy yeah. this hobby with me, please. You know, and I keep on buying her little things like the little blade inductrix plane, the convergent, whatever that thing is called, or the, the UMX timber and stuff just to kind of make it, um, approachable, right? Like make easy it easy and fun. Yeah. yeah. And like less consequences of crashing, right? 
But still, it's, it's very hard to pull them away from those game systems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Well, far and away, the most important thing from my perspective is to have fun. And yes. so I fly the way I enjoy. Yep. And if, if I'm going to go out and crash every day, okay, I'm going to be learning more stuff, but I'm probably not going to have as much fun. And, you know, I'm at a point in life where I want to enjoy as many things as I can. Yes, totally. And, you know, who has those deep pockets to be able to constantly be fixing, <laughs> you know, helicopters? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so what got you started designing and building gasser conversions and nitro conversions, in fact, right? We have the 570 conversion. <clears throat> well, um, several years ago, uh, a guy named Joey Chan, he's in Australia, started posting um, onto HeliFreak that he was going to build a goblin gasser. And this fascinated me, of course, mm-hmm. because it was marrying what at the time was the hottest model in the world. And I guess it still is. But at that time, it certainly was with, mm-hmm. you know, my passion, which is gas helicopters. So I got to talking to him and, you know, it kind of turned into, well, look, I'm going to make some of these things. Do you want to sell them? And I said, sure. So, you know, that's how we sell the first 20 uh, goblin conversions. And from there, it just kind of turned into more and more stuff. Yeah. You know, we've, we've got yes. more, more conversions and we've got more accessories. And then I was able to pick up the TRM and TRM engine line from Al mm-hmm. and we've got mufflers and, you know, got the whole shooting max. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You've kind of become the go-to place for, for gas powered well, helicopters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, that was always my goal. You know, earlier on, there's always been a couple of issues with these things. One is there's misconceptions about their performance mm-hmm. and their suitability for, you know, your average pilot to be able to manage it. And some of that is based on history because going back to that gas graphite, yeah. it flew, but you had to know your shit or you were going to have trouble with it. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were uh, limitations to the model that you had to fix. And if you didn't fix them, it was never going to work right. Mm-hmm. And so I found ways to fix them and it, it worked fine. But, you know, today the performance of these things is, is very good. Uh, as, as you've probably seen from various videos and I know Andy, you saw some flying at Urcha mm-hmm. and um, you know, they've, Ever since we got into higher performance engines and higher performance helicopters, the performance of gas helicopters is now good enough that people who like to fly glow engines are interested in trying this because, as you spoke about earlier, there's a lot of advantages to uh, learning better uh, collective control. Yep. It's certainly less expensive to fly on a flight-by-flight basis, and I think, Andy, based on some of your research, overall they're cheaper to fly, yes. even if even yep. you look at you know everything that surrounds them. Yeah. In terms of in terms of uh, support equipment. Mm-hmm. Um. And they have a certain amount of um, panache, if you will. You know, you show up at the field with one of these things and you go throw it around and people go, gee, that's pretty cool. I think I might want one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Anytime I, anywhere I go and take out my whiplash gasser, everyone wants to look at it and see it fly. And they're like, oh, wow, it flies way better than I expected. Right. Like, yep. Well, I mean, if you haven't seen a, a gas helicopter in, 10 years i mean they're 
They're way better than they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people remember the old canister mufflers that, you know, sounded worse than your weed eater. They were horrible sounding. And, uh, you know, exhaust systems today sound about like glow engines. So mm-hmm. that's not really an issue anymore. Uh, the models just keep getting lighter as well. Right. So you get too, right? More power on the engines and lighter on the helis. So the performance is just keeps going up and up. Mm. I feel it's the right combination. Yep. Yep. Um, Absolutely. So I noticed that, you know, your, your helicopter conversions. Um, now I know what JC design stands for, right? Um, yeah, exactly. J- Joey well, Chan designs. That's well, where him. did you get the Leviathan name? Was that just something you thought up or uh, that was his original design company. Oh, um, okay. And so the original conversions were, were named Leviathan and then he sold that business. So we renamed it to JC designs. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't okay. realize it was the same company. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same guy. He's designed, uh, he has designed all of the conversions that some of the accessories I've done and I've gotten them from other people. Uh, but the, the conversions themselves have all been done by Joey. And they're 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 pretty amazing. He's uh, he's a very thoughtful and careful guy. And he started with the the Goblin. You said that was the first one, Goblin Seven Hundred. Nice. And now he's expanded, though, right? There's uh yeah. We have the uh, for the Goblins. We have them for five seventies, six thirties, seven hundreds. I don't do the seven seventy anymore because n- nobody really bought that, but. Uh, the Agile 7.2, we can still do the uh, Synergy 766, and um, I carry the Blackout mods, which are from Greece, for uh, the Synergy and the uh, Align 700X, and I've got some uh, 700 Nitro conversions that are, you can take your Nitro Pro, the one with bell cranks, and turn it into a direct-to-servo setup. It's nice. fairly inexpensive and easy to do, and you don't have to deal with the gearbox of the new uh, 700X. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. I owe you a big thanks, Carrie. I actually won one of those kits at Urcha at your gas-powered thoughts Good. seminar. Have you built it yet? Well, I actually <laughs> give it to a friend of mine because he has that exact model and had already been talking about oh, good. converting it, so I knew he would he could use it. He's a big nitro guy, so he was tickled to death to get it. I'm so, very happy that someone shout got out. it. Yeah. Very happy that someone got it who's going to use it because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have given something away or seen something given away, and before I walk away, the person's selling it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I almost didn't accept it because I knew I didn't have anything, and then I thought of Dan. And I knew he had been talking about them and looking at them to convert Good. that exact thing. Oh, it went and to Dan? Yeah, give it to Dan. Awesome. That's about all he flies is nitro. So yeah. it's got some of the old lines and stuff. So I'm very happy it went definitely to Definitely went to a good home. Them. Yeah, and good. Dan throws down. He flies. So Yeah, we've actually done uh, nine of those seminars. Uh, I'm shooting for 10. That'll be next year. After that, we'll see. But uh, ten oh, years seems ten years seems to <laughs> ten years seems to be my limit on things for some reason. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I missed it the first time I went to Urcha because I didn't know. But then I so I've been to three of them, mm-hmm. and uh, 
See, he's really sneaky with this giveaway stuff, Steve. Oh, yeah? The first one I went to, I won a pipe. It's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Got a pipe. Draw you in oh, little by little. Dang, now I got to buy a helicopter and an engine <laughs> yep. and everything to go with it. That's what got me started, sure enough, was when <laughs> nice. that TRM pi- uh, power pipe. Well, I always wanted people who are in the gas uh, helicopter uh, universe to feel like part of the crowd because an awful lot of the stuff that goes on there is all about electric or, or glow models, and a lot of the stuff that's given away yeah. is one of the one of the two. So mm-hmm. I wanted uh, you know my people to uh, to feel like a part of it. So that's really what that was about. Nice. No, it, it's great. I really enjoy it. I think uh, one year you had a guy talking about bearings that was very informative. And you had Al there last year talking mm-hmm. about engines. And it's just, it's always, always go take away some valuable information and good advice. Yeah, the community has uh, grown a lot over time. And there's so many sources of information now between forums and videos and podcasts like yours and, you know, so many other things. And really, you talked about how did I how did I get into this? Well, um, what really drove the business side of this as much as anything was uh, a gap that was in the in the industry. There, yeah. you know, there's always been people providing pieces of this, engines or mm-hmm. kits or whatever. Never anybody who really put all the pieces together and said, "Well, if you're going to buy this kit." then here's the engine you need and here's the muffler you need and you should run these length blades and this kind of drive ratio and all that. Nobody ever really did that. It was mostly just, Hey, look, I got this engine kid. Look, 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 I got an engine and you know, it's, it's $600 and I'm going to sell it to you and you get it. And it wasn't the right one and it didn't run right if it ran Mm -hmm. and it was not the right setup for the model you had and then uh, you'd either blow it up or it didn't work right, and you'd be disappointed, and you'd say gas helicopters are shit, and I'm never going to fly them again, and <laughs> I hate yeah. everybody. And in fact, that wasn't true. It was just yeah. a matter of uh, either people were being scammed outright, or they were given bad information because nobody was trying to consolidate it into uh, meaningful collections. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to do more than anything else. That's why I started the Gas Powered Thoughts Forum, which is on HeliFreak. And that's why I put together some videos on YouTube. And uh, the business just kind of grew out of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very very valuable because I can imagine before, unless you actually knew someone that had put all this together, it would Mm -hmm. be a challenge to even know what to get or what conversion, what engine – because, I mean, you, you'd be trying to acquire stuff from three or four different places. Yeah. And it's it's always a challenge to get it all figured out. Whereas okay. now you can kind of just go to your shop or, or talk to you and get a, a working solution from the start. Yeah, and tell me what you want to fly and uh, we'll get you fixed up so that uh, it works first time you pull a, pull a starter or spin it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you're you're helping people be successful right off the bat instead of having to do that, you know, trial and error type of hobbyist, right? Like trying to figure mm-hmm. out does this work with this pipe or does this work with this model and this setup and gear ratio and yeah, I mean to the have all that, yeah, like yeah, the, to get rid, that. yeah, get rid of that frustration, right? It's it's priceless like, what you contribute to the hobby. 
And what, what grew out of that, again, was you know, one of the, and I, I think this is something you want to ask about later, but I'm going to bring it up now. One of, the, one of the harder things to determine is, okay, so I got this engine. I don't know anything about it. Nobody knows anything about it. Nobody knows where the power bands are. Nobody knows what head speed or gearing or, or exhaust or air filter I should run on it to get mm-hmm. the power I want. So you spend you know, months sitting there trying all these combinations, and some of them take a lot of effort to put into place, and maybe you'll have problems or not. And for a long time, you hear a lot of people saying, gee, this engine feels like it's making more power or they're doing some sort of test with the helicopter that they can draw conclusions from, but really no objective data. Mm -hmm. So one of my goals for years has been to come up with some sort of testing device. Uh, I'll use the word dyno. What I have is not strictly a brake dyno, as a lot of people use it. But Mm -hmm. I had a company called Hewitt Manufacturing who makes dynos for go-karts. Nice. And cars okay. and other things. He actually made one for me that I can mount these engines on. And it's a, it's an accelerometer, basically. It uses a, a big, heavy wheel mm-hmm. that um, it measures the acceleration of. And it uses commercial software to determine horsepower and torque ratings of a particular engine. So since I've gotten that set up, I'm able to take an engine and compare the horsepower and torque readings and at what RPMs they occur Mm -hmm. using different air filters and mufflers and fuel and spark plugs and all kinds of things, you know, whatever combination I want to test and it produces, you know, publishable data. So someone can say, okay, I got this engine. What, where should I run it? And you look at the graph and it tells you where it's making the most power. And that's probably where you want to try to run it. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of of when you started doing this, yes, Carrie, and I think I've I've spoke with you. But the the graphs where you can actually see the power band and when the power starts to drop off and get an RPM, you know, range. Mm-hmm. I think that's just so like the most valuable thing of all of this, being able to know where to gear your heli or what RPM to get the peak power at for yeah. your setup. It's managed to create some drama. Um, I'm trying to stay out of that as best I can, but (laughs) there's always, uh, you know, somebody (laughs) who disagrees, which is one of the reasons why I won't publish horsepower numbers. Uh, it's, that's an interesting metric to understand, but in fact, it doesn't matter that much. What you really want to know is where should I be running this engine? And Mm -hmm. If you want me to compare two engines, well, I've done that in some cases, mm-hmm. yeah. and you you can see between between those engines, where would you want to run each one to get the best power? I don't really care which one you use, but if you're going to use engine A, well, you, here's where you should run it with this combination yes. of stuff mm-hmm. for your setup. Right. And right. Um, you know, I don't really see anything controversial about that at all, but. In some cases, it has been, I guess, as everything is these days. I mean, that's just the internet. That's just, you know, people out there. Um, you can't help that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you a secret too, Carrie. Um, I've learned that the people in the hobby, um, specifically helicopters, myself included, we can kind of be whiny bitches. <laughs> like there's a lot of drama surrounding everything, so... 
<laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I don't know why, though, but yeah, I totally agree, but I don't know why. I, just, <laughs> I don't know why either. It's we're weird. adults playing with toy helicopters. Who the hell cares? I, mean, I know. Have fun with it. Gosh. Look around. Everybody know, has a problem with something. Sure, of course. I, <laughs> I, will, I will say that at the time I started Gas Powered Thoughts, the knockdown drag outs on the forums in the gas section were so bad that people were leaving. You know, it's like, I can't believe you guys are like this. I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of another driver. It's like, okay, I'm going to set this up so only I can start topics. And if I don't like what you said, I'm, I'm getting rid of it because right. I'm, I'm not here to, to be the drama king. Yeah. And, uh, so people had a place to go where they could just get data and have a, a, a reasonable discussion. Yeah. And since then, it's all kind of settled down. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the data is just so valuable. And like you say, I don't think the, the horsepower number really means anything. If As long as you're comparing, you know, you take three air filters on the same engine and you publish all three of those graphs. I mean, it's easy to tell which one is making more power or changing the the power band the mm-hmm. rpm yep, yep so that to me that's the useful part of this whole thing yeah i agree i really think that uh, the main useful part is where your power band is because who cares who makes more power it's where you're utilizing that power right so you have to set up your helicopter to gear that rpm you know for the head speed you want and all that stuff so yeah, I, I just published a graph uh, within the last couple of weeks, and that was really my point. It was between two engines. They were actually of different sizes. That wasn't the point I was trying to make, though. One of them made its peak horsepower around 12,500 RPMs, and the other one made its peak horsepower around 13,500 RPM. Well, depending on the gear ratio of your helicopter, that's maybe three, 400 RPM on the head. Mm-hmm. And depending on which one of those engines you're using – if if you're running the wrong head speed, you're either going to be on the other side or below where the peak is, and you may never know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. Which something as simple as changing a pinion or gearing can put you right in the sweet spot. Yeah, or make making a or change, change. The RPM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was really that's really what I'm trying to accomplish with all that, and we're going to continue to do that going forward. Mm-hmm. Nice. I've t- always been curious. Carry just like give me a broad range of the horsepowers of these engines. I mean, are we talking like five horsepower, ten horsepower, two horsepower? Like, do you ha- do you have any range or like a rough average of what all these things produce? Most of, I'll be generic here. Most of yeah, them make less generic. than most of them make less than five horsepower. Okay, I've now always we, kind of been curious about yeah. that. When you get into uh, marine engines with these radical tune pipes, they can get up into, you know, seven, eight, nine horsepower. You, you see some of this stuff on websites, you know, here's our engine. It makes nine horsepower. It probably did. But if you were to look at how it made that power and where it made that power, instead of being a sort of a gentle curve of, you know, it gets stronger, it gets stronger, it starts to fall off, it starts to fall off. It looked more like an inverted V where it goes almost straight up and straight down. Yeah. And, and if you happen to be running at the top of that V, you're in good shape. You'll get your eight or nine horsepower. But on either side of that, you might get five. Right. Yeah. So it's safe to say we're somewhere in the four to five horsepower range. Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable that's a reasonable assumption. Nice. So you kind of went to a little bit about the gearing, um, air filter, like muffler combo. Like, 
you know, what's the importance of that? Well, as I found in the testing, um, most of these, the engines we use today are Zenoa engines. They're basically weed eater engines for lack of a better way of saying it. Uh, actually, if you bought a, um, I think it's called Redline, uh, made by, um, Zenoa, if you were to get one of their weed eaters, it's just about exactly the same engine on it. But at any rate, um, they come with an air filter that it, it's stylish. It, it looks okay. But uh, I was always curious, does it really perform well? So when I was able to test these, what I found was it didn't perform very well at all. It restricts the airflow uh, on the carburetor, mm-hmm. and it, it did not make the most let the engine make the most power it could. So I started putting different air filters on it mm-hmm. and found that it increased the power quite a bit, yes. like, like 10 to 15%, if I remember correctly. Wow. And the same is true on the exhaust side. Um, if you use sort of these standard canister mufflers, you're really not only are they annoying sounding, but you're not letting the engine make its full power. And you yeah. know, different muffler different mufflers will give you different results. Sure, mm-hmm. right? Different back pressure and stuff than the engine exactly. Needs for torque, yeah. And then of course there's the mythical tuned pipe, which uh <laughs> You've probably seen Doug Darby run on a couple of his models. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's good for about thirty percent horsepower gain right there. Oof. Yeah, I asked Doug. I was like, "So, what about should I get a tune pipe?" And he said, "No, probably not. You blow your engine up. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's fairly easy to burn the engine up." Yeah. And uh, I know he he uh, he tested with that for quite a while until he got the right combination and that works very well but you gotta stay on top of that because it's it's making so much power and it's so hot that uh there's not much margin to screw that up right that's what he was saying yeah if you're on that ragged edge one little air bubble that's it well yeah so i was asking him what if you just run it a little tad rich he said that that doesn't really work either because then you you have less, way less power. So right. you have to be kind of in that perfect tune to get the benefit of the, of the pipe. Mm. So it's, yeah, there's it's a lot, there's definitely a lot of not for a novice. Yeah. There's a lot of math involved in designing that thing, uh, for the particular setup you have. I know Al at TRM had, uh, put together some specs for that, that quick draw and it was all based on, uh, exhaust port timing and, um, you know, some other factors he had. It, it's not just a, you know, let's try this. Yeah. 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 I kind of backed off after I had a conversation with Doug about it. Cause I was like, well, like I would like to have the power, but I'm not gonna, I would definitely blow up the engine cause I'm not going to stay on the tune that, that good. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's not worth it. I, I've never really been a fan of it for that reason. I mean, okay. If you want to, if you want to, you know, go that way. That's fine, but I don't carry them because I don't want people to damage their engines. And then they're we're back to the you know this is a piece of shit. I hate it. It's mm-hmm. it's because it's a gas helicopter. Well, no, not really. It's because yeah. you didn't tune it right. But mm-hmm. but that being said, Doug's heli, especially that aligned with the blackout mods, with the pipe on it in the hands of someone like Ben Storick, is absolute like an amazing. <laughs> An amazing gasser, Haley. 
I mean, it's just unbeatable. Yeah, it's really light. Uh, Dennis, the guy at uh, Blackout that makes those, it's uh, yeah, he's done a good job at making it light. Mm-hmm. And he's actually working on an even lighter version that I suspect will show up sometime in the fall. Oh, nice. uh, wow. It has uh, almost everything's made out of carbon fiber, even the bearing blocks. Wow. So wow. It, it, it's going to weigh less. Huh. Wow. That's interesting. Let's kind of go into the engine part of the the gassers, right? So, why is it so important to get an engine from a modifier like you know Al or from TRM? You know, well, back to the um, where do these engines come from? You know, they're made they're made by industrial companies. Um, Zenoa is a division of Husqvarna, and they didn't used to be, but they are now. And it's it's basically a uh, a, a yard implement engine Mm -hmm. and it became popular with uh in fact i think the first helicopter that probably used that was the vario uh that's the first time i ever saw one um but they're they're popular on fifth scale cars and they're used a lot on gopeds it's it's all kind of the same engine but if you buy one of these things out of the box you know it's an industrial engine so they have not spent an enormous amount of time um, making it true on the crankshaft yeah. and uh, making sure that, you know, the ports are all clean and everything's balanced as it should be. In fact, they're not very well balanced at all. And if you keep it below about 10, about 10,500 RPMs, well, it'll still run pretty smooth. The problem is uh, to run it in a helicopter, you need to run it in the you know twelve to fourteen thousand RPM range, and they're mm-hmm. not smooth there at all. Okay. So what? So what the modifiers ah, do is okay. first thing they do is take the engine apart mm-hmm. and true the crankshaft, which they may actually have to press it apart to do that. But they'll make sure it's true down to you know half a thousandth of an inch. It's it's very very accurate mm-hmm. and then they will balance the engine which involves uh changing the weight of the piston and maybe the weight of the crankshaft as well uh they use a calculation uh which they call the balance factor and it's a combination of weights of both ends of the connecting rod basically and from that they'll get a fairly smooth running engine uh, and then on the top end, they will make changes to the porting, both the intake, the transfer ports, and the exhaust side. For those of you who understand two-stroke engines, those those are important parts of the process. Yeah. Uh, they will make changes to those, maybe change where they open or close, make them bigger or smaller, uh, and they can make them smaller using putties. Um, and... Uh, change the shape sometimes, smooth them out, and the result of this is they can make the engine run smoother and develop its power at whatever RPM you kind of want it to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always find that so fascinating by the the ability to change the porting around just a little bit and move that power curve up or down, basically. Yeah, the downside of this is what I just described is a lot of work. And yeah. it adds a fair amount of cost to what you would think would be a pretty inexpensive engine. Right. Uh, so as a result of that, they're expensive. I mean, if anybody thinks the people modifying them or selling them is making a fortune off these engines, uh, you would be incorrect. Yeah. 
No, I believe it. I, I don't know how many hours it take to to do one turnkey, but I'm sure it's several. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but that's why it's important to use a modified engine. I I recommend don't even bother um, using a stock engine. You're going to get upset. Uh, the model's going to shake. Probably parts are going to fall off of it, and you're going to be uh, disappointed. You're going to have a whole lot less power as well. That too, right? and it will and it will have a whole lot less power. I'm I'm a total noob in gassers, so, so I. I'm curious about this question. So how do you I hope tune- to fix that? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, how do you tune a gas motor? Like I know how to tune a nitro motor. I don't know if it's similar. You know, you don't really see a lot of smoke coming out of a gas motor. So it's like, it's kind of deceiving if it's, you know, if it's running rich or lean. Like, so how do you kind of get into tuning of a gas motor? It is very similar to a glow engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's all sound-based for the most part in flight. Okay. Uh, there are some other ways to help, but basically you're listening for a sound. Um, there are typically two needles on one of these carburetors. Uh, the carburetors have fuel pumps built into them. They'll actually pull the fuel about four feet without a problem, so getting them out of the fuel tank is not really a problem. Uh, But there are two needles, one for low speed and one for high speed. Mm -hmm. And the low speed needle, it depends on the carburetor, will probably control the flow entirely up until about uh, uh, almost half throttle. And then beyond that, it feeds the high needle on top of it. So it's really a mixture of the two. And what you want to do is there's everybody provides basic settings, you know, for standard altitudes, not the five to six thousand feet stuff. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're in reasonable sea level uh, altitudes, there's a basic setting for each carburetor in each engine that you set set the needles to. And uh, there's a break in setting because uh, there's a really long break in on these things. Um, yeah. They don't really break in fully until about five gallons of fuel. Wow. Which is, which is a lot of flying. Yeah. Uh, after the first gallon, you can start to lean on it. After about three gallons, you'll actually see and hear a difference in how it runs. Okay. And at five gallons, it's, it's, it's going. Yeah. So, but back to your original question, um, when you're breaking them in, you want the engine to be four stroking and you'll hear it four stroking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll, it'll sound like it. And the, the tail rotor will be kicking because the engine's four stroking. Mm-hmm. And over time you'll gradually lean out, uh, that lower speed needle until that stops and you kind of hold it there. Now the high end side of it, the only, there's, you know, the only way to really set that is to fly the model at full power, listen to it, mm-hmm. and look at the spark plug. Um, you can okay. take the spark plug out and look at the color of it. And if if it has a grayish white color, then you've turned the high you've turned the high speed in too far. And if it's black and oily, well, you haven't turned it in far enough. But what you want is kind of a chocolate brown color uh, that's mostly dry, and you're about in the right place. Okay. And again, again, when you've flown them for a while, you'll start to recognize the sound. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're if you're way rich or way lean, it will either quit running or it will uh, it will bog really bad. Okay. 
Um, so talking about the spark plugs and stuff like that, because it's not like a glow engine where like you look at the pigtail on the glow engine, uh, glow plug and you're like, oh yeah, that's fouled. Um, you know, does gapping make a difference on the, the spark plug? Do you gap it smaller or bigger or like, is there a specific range it should be at? On, uh, the standard magneto ignition, which most of these are eh, 28 thousands mm-hmm. is about right. To be honest with you, I don't even look. <laughs> uh, okay. Just put them in, they run. Yeah. Now, if you're using an EI system, which some engines do, that becomes very critical. Okay. Uh, yeah. it, 28 thousandths, it probably won't run. Um, you need to get those down to about 20 thousandths. Right, right. Okay. But uh, it's a standard spark plug. It has to be a resistor plug. Otherwise, it will throw off so much uh, uh, EMI or EMF that mm-hmm. it will interfere with even the 2.4 systems. Wow. All right. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I had one the other day uh, where the where it was an EI system, and there was something wrong with the shielding on it, and it was causing a throttle to jump. I mean, a servo to jump. Uh, okay. Just, just for um, transparency, what's an EI system? <laughs> what, what uh, that uh, electronic for? ignition. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. No worries. Okay. Yeah. Most of these run on in a magneto. It's a yeah. it's a flywheel with a couple of magnets on it. And it goes past a coil, and it causes it to spark. Well, some of them run a CDI system or capacitative discharge EI, electronic ignition, just like it is on your car. Yeah, or like the airplane motors, right? Like the DA's motors that have that electronic control box. Yeah, like a DA. Same idea. Okay. Is there there an advantage to that or over the magneto? I have not found that. I have not done... Uh, horsepower testing with one simply because I haven't found that important to do. But uh, mostly what I have found is they're more difficult to set up. If you don't get the cap grounded well, uh, you'll have all kind of interference and inconsistency problems. If for some reason you haven't timed it properly, you'll be miserable trying to get it to run right. Yeah, Yeah. sounds like a lot of headache to me. Yeah, I was just curious as why, because the magneto is just so simple and, and works. But it's heavy. That's there. Okay. So they're lighter. Ah, okay. You know, an EI system simply needs a magnet to trigger it. And so you don't have to have a lot of rotating mass. Right. But right. at magneto, you're going to have to have something strong enough to hold a couple of pretty big magnets mm-hmm. that are spinning really fast. So uh, they're all chunky. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So kind of talking about like gas engines, obviously they, they vibrate a little bit more than say a nitro and definitely more than electric. Um, how does Absolutely. that, how does that play with like modern fly brawless units? For the most part, uh, they don't care. Uh, I hard mount all of mine. Um, uh, in fact, with the new Fataba 760, I literally screw it to the plate cause it's got bolt holes on the back of it and I literally bolt it on. But, um, I use a, a very thin adhesive tape on all of them. I really haven't seen it make any difference. Now, where I have seen it make a difference is if you're trying to use a rescue system. Yeah. Not all not all of them will like it. Um, I had a, uh, a Skookum. Mm-hmm. It was a 720 with a rescue in it. It did not like it. But uh, I understand the Bavarian Demon doesn't really care. I find yeah, that um, might be the only one. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say like I find that most don't, and that might be the exception. Um, yeah. Um, I just I count it as anything nitro or anything that's fuel model does not just just consider no rescue. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. available. Um, yep. So let's talk about govs then. So 
you know, do you have to run like an external Futaba st- style gov or can you run like a Neo gov on it? Well, uh, first off, a governor is not a requirement. It's merely a uh, a way to make everything easier for you, mm-hmm. just like it is on a Glow model um, or even the electric. It's it's one less thing to worry about, but um, it's always a good thing to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people will agree, and there's probably a few people who will argue with me on this, that Futaba has got the governor function down pat for gas engines. And one of the primary reasons for that is there's a lot of flexibility in it. There's a lot of parameters you can set for all of them, all the way back to the GV1, the 701, the 750, and now the 760. Mm -hmm. The basic governor function works about the same across all of those. But as the uh, as time has gone by, they've added more parameters that you can add. Some of them were on secret menus. Now most of them are exposed where you can see them. And it's very tunable. So uh, one of the problems you've got to deal with is with a typical glow engine, you're hovering at about half throttle. If you were to look at the barrel, it's about halfway open where you're hovering, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. Whereas with one of these Walbro carburetors on a gas engine, it's at probably uh, 25% open. And Ooh, if you so go well, beyond okay. it. If you go beyond that, it'll be literally screaming. And a lot of governors don't know how to deal with that. So yeah. uh, the Fatabas and, and others, to be fair, have a way to change, you know, where, where's the low point here? And it's not uncommon to set that as low as 15%. Wow. It's, it's very low. And if you don't do that, when you turn the governor on, you know, head goes to 2,000 RPMs and you've got it set at 1,500 and you don't know why. Well, it's because your governor doesn't know how to go less than, you know, 30 or 40% on the throttle. And that's basically wide open. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. I uh, feel like I'm getting down into the weeds here. I hope your listeners uh, No, don't. no. I think this is great because this, yeah. at least this is stuff I want to know because getting yeah, into me, it, right? Yeah, me too. That's... I'm I'm using the the brain too with mm-hmm. the gov, uh-huh. and it I mean it seems to work fine, but I'm sure it I've not really tuned it a whole lot, and I've always wanted to ask like what's the differences because when you talk I've heard um, you and probably like Doug Darby talking about the neo gov mm-hmm. saying that just a few little changes make from the nitro, um, which it's actually set up for improves everything tremendously and i've always kind of wondered what exactly you would change about the the tuning part of that Mm -hmm. well i can tell you that um you know obviously the first thing i'll I'll give you a a typical setup on a fataba governor Uh, obviously the first thing you need to do is set the low point and the high point you know where's it idling and where's it wide open that'll get the servo moving in the yeah, correct the direction mm-hmm. for correction. And then you determine what RPMs you want to run it at, which mm-hmm. there's different ways to do that. And some of it can be adjusted, you know, in flight from the transmitter. Finally, what you want to do is uh, where do you want it to come on? You know, you can set the point at which it will engage and that that's going to okay. be lower than it would normally be with a glow engine, but it would be about on the stick where, you know, you would expect it to be. On the curve, it's in a much lower place. On the actual stick position, it's a little less than half is where I usually turn it on. From there, everything is, how does it behave in flight? 
you can change the reaction rate to the RPM increasing or decreasing. And that's that's done in different ways, but basically it's a percentage change of how fast it will adjust either up or down. And more often than not, you want it to adjust faster up than down. Uh, it'll mm-hmm. overspeed a little bit, but it's better to overspeed than to get below the power curve. Yeah. Uh, you can also change how quickly it engages. Uh, and there's a couple of other things, but basically that's that's the, the, the four things I just outlined there is basically what you set. Mm-hmm. Nice. And and then on the flip side, if you did want to run a gov, can you still run like a traditional V curve? Uh, you can, but it doesn't matter. Once it engages, it's done. It's oh, he's saying like if you don't run a gov. Yeah, if you don't run a gov at all, and you oh, just absolutely. say, "Hey, I oh, want yeah, a V curve, hundred, yeah, whatever, down to I guess twenty percent, you know, wherever your throttle low point is or your hovering point would in be." In fact, in fact, it's really preferable to. When you're getting this set up, forget about the governor. Go ahead and use the curves to set the model to fly the way you want. Mm. Uh, that buys you two things. First off, it won't hide tuning problems because yeah. you're gonna you're gonna see what it's gonna do. Mm-hmm. Uh, second off, um, if for some reason you lose the governor, you know what's gonna happen to the engine. It's not gonna stop running or run away. Right. It's gonna be about what it was doing anyway. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I ask that is, uh, I've been kind of moving away from govs on my nitros. And especially now that, um, V control has the new V curve setup you can do within the gov mode. Um, which I kind of like. I think it's like I have the option of running a gov or just running a traditional V curve. And, you know, and I've, it's crazy because I kind of switch back and forth and I can't tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I set up the V curve properly, it feels just like it's on gov with my, with my flying style. So. Sometimes governors can cause you more trouble than they're worth. If you're mm-hmm. way off on your tuning, uh, yeah. it, you know, it can flood the engine because it, it gets behind the engine gets behind and it's feed and throttle. And, yeah. you know, it, it eventually floods the engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can, uh, as I said, hide other tuning problems. You may be too lean and it you know, doesn't let you know that cause it's pulling it back. Yeah. It's always a good idea to set it up with curves and then use the, use the governor. Especially with new pilots who aren't used to, uh, you know, the throttle setup. If, especially if you've been mm-hmm. flying like a glow model, yeah. all of a sudden the curve is, you know, uh, you're hovering at thirty percent of throttle. Yeah. Well, if you haven't set it up right, that's you're going to wind up turning the head twenty five hundred RPMs. Governor will keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I've used it for uh, is just gauging where to set the curves. I know that the governor's telling me it's turning, you know, 2000 RPMs. Okay, well, let me flip it on and off. And if it goes up, my curve's too high. If it goes down, my curve's not high enough. Right, right. I was going to ask you that app on the V control. Can you do multiple points on that? Like five or seven or? Uh, you could definitely do five. I didn't look to see if I could do seven because. I was just curious because my throttle curve. Uh, I think I've been using a f- either five or seven, but it's more of a U than a V. It's kind of like yeah, yeah, tw- twenty in the center and maybe forty, and then to a hundred. It's kind of <clears throat> yeah, it's like not linear really. Well, on mine, I mean, this is a nitro model, obviously on my Black Thunder, but I'm Black Nitro, but it's like 
180, 56, 80, 100, I think I do. So it's uh, not like a straight V, but it's kind of curvish, like you're saying, kind of yeah. use out in the bottom a little. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you could also, there's like things that you can kind of add, like not expo, but I guess soften the curves or something. So yeah, sure. <clears throat> but, uh, that's awesome. So I, I kind of like that you can, you don't need to run a gov if you don't have to. Like that's, I, <laughs> I just find that like, because when I got into it, everything was like gov, gov, gov. Everything needs a gov. You got to run the either the hobby wing gov or the VBAR gov. You got to run the nitro gov or just, you know, like, it, you know, I grew up learning the helicopters, you know, setups by like what folks are telling me that I got to run a gov. And, and you know, when, when someone tells me, ah, oh, no, no, especially for nitros, like go back to a V curve. You'll have less issues. You won't have to wait for the engine if you overspeed to, you know, catch back up and all this stuff. And I tried it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, you know, can notice it, even though I'm not that good of a pilot to, to be able to notice these things, but cool. Absolutely hey, not a requirement. Yeah. What it's old is new again, Steve. It yeah. is. It really is. <laughs> you know, even with me going from an electric to nitro to now, hopefully I'll, I'll get me a gas conversion. You know, like I'm moving back in the, <laughs> the technology, but still, uh-huh. but it's still more advanced, right? Obviously than back in the day. So, um, so the next thing I want to talk about is actually pretty cool. And it's the generators that I've been seeing on a lot of gassers. Okay. I know Raja has his generator. I think TRM makes one too, I believe, right? Correct. We sell the TRM version. Nice. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Like, where did this come from? Why is this a thing? You know, and like, what's the benefits, I guess? Well, I can tell you that they originated, as far as I know, uh, with a uh, an airplane version. A company oh, called really? Sullivan. Sullivan made something called the Genesis system. Okay. And it it was a a was a plate that fit on the back of your propeller spinner and it had little magnets on it and a and a, a pickup on the other side and cool. it would charge it would charge your air pack uh just as long as the engine was running. Mm-hmm. And Raja built on this idea and adapted it for helicopters. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. Basically, what this consists of is a uh, a small electric motor, yeah. uh, you know, a brushless motor, and uh, a set of diodes because you're producing AC current, mm-hmm. and then a regulator to get the voltage to what you're trying to put back into the pack. And you connect it to the battery pack, and then you... If you do this properly, it's not that simple to just bolt it on and forget it. If you do this properly, what you do is you'd figure out how much uh, energy each flight uses out of your battery pack. Mm -hmm. And then you adjust the voltage on the generator system until after a flight, if you try to charge the battery, it it won't take any. Oh, so it's not like an automatic thing. It's something you (laughs) actually have to tweak. To get it to work properly, you got to tweak it. Can you just throw it on there and it'll work? Yeah, it'll, yeah probably. I just not, threw mine on and <laughs> it's been working. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not going to be perfect. I'm but. using a um, a life pack, and I think uh-huh. I've got it set at like six point eight volts, and it's mm-hmm. pretty much just always at six point eight, which is about what ninety percent of the capacity of that pack. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the generator's just putting out so much extra that the pack never really drops or what but i really haven't touched it since i bolted it on 
Yeah, what I you know, I always take everything to the extreme. And if you're trying to be perfect with it, if you understand how much power is coming out, yeah, then you understand how much you need to put back in to keep it about square. And with a life or NICAD or nickel metal, it's kind of irrelevant with the, the lipos yeah, it's less important right yeah, yeah. you want to be you want to be on top of that because there's no balancer involved in this mm-hmm. it's simply putting out voltage so you want to you don't want to be over overdriving that too much um now what we did with the uh trm system is it has an embedded castle uh bec and we provide a castle link so that you can set the voltage to whatever you want it to be. It can be from about four volts up to 14 volts. And uh, there's a little voltmeter so you can see as it's running, you know, what kind of voltage it's putting out. And you can change it as needed. As I said, going back to the, you want to try to put as much in as you've gotten out and really not more than that. So just curious, if you set it to like 7.2 volts and plug into your 2S LiPo and just kind of let it go, will it overcharge or like would it go over, you know, if you... There's nothing to stop it. Yeah. But but generally, uh, your air pack is taking more out than you're going to put back in at 7.2 volts. Okay. You're going to need to run it a yeah, little higher, higher than that. Sure. Yeah, so that's probably safe. Um, but again... It'll have, it'll put out as much as fourteen. Our system will put out yeah. as much as fourteen volts, so uh, you can set it to whatever you need to to keep the pack square. Well, now, the, one thing I don't like about them is mm-hmm. some people just decide, well, I'm just not going to pay attention to the battery. You know, yeah. I got this gener- generator. I'm just going to go fly it. I'm never going to charge it. I'm never going to check it. I'm just going to go fly it, and that'll work great until it doesn't. Yeah, until your cells go out of balance <laughs> and starts to blow up on you. I'm just curious. So, like, if the reason I said 7.2 volts, or like, let's just say you set it for 8.4, would it ever? Like, I would think that after the pack gets up to your 100% charge, it it would num like it would basically equalize the voltage. So, would it actually put anything back into the pack? You know what I mean? Like. Maybe I'm just misunderstanding how electricity works. <laughs> well, I can tell you there's nothing in the system that will reduce the char- the current coming out of the generator. Okay. It's not like a um, it's not like a charger where you got a balancer and you're measuring the pack voltage and you vary the uh, voltage depending on the charge of the battery. It's just putting out whatever voltage you put there. Okay. So you don't you don't want to be crazy. You know you don't want to take a four volt battery and put fourteen volts into it because something bad's going to eventually happen. But uh, if you stick with uh, base voltages. And you have a typical air pack. I think you're gonna be pretty even, or maybe a little behind it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I would run a lipo at like seven point eight, Steve. Yeah, that's what or, I'm thinking. Like, would it'll, it'll use it, but it'll it won't ever like try to charge the pack well, more than that. You would definitely want to check the balance on a yeah. lipo. Right, that right. Ca- that's one reason I went with the life mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little more forgiving of all that. Of course, I have telemetry on my radio, so I look at the voltage every time I power the model on and see that the battery's where it needs to be. And it doesn't really lose a lot of voltage just setting. Right. Um, And I I do check the balance occasionally. Uh, It's always been just dead on. And that's probably partly due to the chemistry. You know, LiPo's a little more 
volatile and a little less yeah. uh, stable, stable, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you get a higher voltage. So yeah. now let me say this, and I've I've gone on record with this for a long time. We develop them because our customers that use our conversions for UAV or industrial type activity where they're flying for a couple of hours, they ask for them. Do I think your average modeler who probably flies once or twice a day on the weekend needs this? No. I think it's an additional expense. Um, it, additional weight, like, right? It's additional. It's not that yeah. much. I mean, it doesn't weigh that much. Okay. But it normally takes the place of your spin starter and mm. i i hate pull starting these engines it to me it puts too much load on the chassis whereas if you spin start them it's like uh you know it's like a glow engine you just spin it but yeah. the generator typically sits on top of that so you've lost that ability um now most of our UAV customers are using our Synergy 766 conversion, and we developed an offset for it. That's a pulley drive that sits on top of the uh, clutch, and you don't lose a spin start. You can still spin start the engine. Generator is spun by a belt. It's offset from the uh, starter shaft, so you get both. You get a generator, and you can still spin start it if you want. Nice. Um- so back back in my my car days, you know, there's certain things I've eliminated from my motor belt system so that way I can get more horsepower to the ground. Is there any loss in power running a generator because it's spinning now a motor that has magnets that has some resistance? I I wouldn't know how to measure that. I can I can tell you this, I've mounted one in a Dremel tool. Mm-hmm. And put a load on it, it'll just about stop the Dremel tool. But they have no, you know, that's that's not exactly a high a torque. torque. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I high RPM, but not high torque for sure. I would say it definitely takes some power, hmm. but I don't. It's probably not a huge amount. So yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you know, I mean, granted, it's probably only a couple of grams of weight, but then also you you might lose a percentage or two, like you know, nothing crazy, but. Um, if you want the most out of that helicopter, it's probably best not to run things like the generator mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the pull start even, right? Like, it's probably better to have so that that's not even, well, I guess you could take it off too. They do pop off. Yeah. Personally, I don't think it's going to draw enough power for it to matter. Uh, I, again, I can't tell you how much. It, I'm sure it's some. I, I, don't, I don't think that would be a deciding factor to use one or not. Okay. Yeah. I if have one can. on mine. I like it. For the convenience, I, I can take the transmitter, a can of fuel, and the helicopter and basically fly all day long without stopping or yeah, charging. Yeah, I kind of like that idea too, right? Just take one helicopter. And if I mm-hmm. come in in the evening and say I've got 15 minutes before dark, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about charging up a pack or anything. I just put some fuel in it and I can fly. So f- the convenience for me makes it worth it. But it for is your, a weight penalty. For your circumstance, it's a perfect fit. And again, for the folks who have, you know, long duration flights, it's a requirement. So Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh so let's now talk about fuel. So I know there's like <laughs> you know, camper fuel versus the your off the shelf eighty seven octane from your gas station, you know, like I know there's pros and cons for both, definitely, and but, what um, about people that think you want 93 octane? 
or 92 yeah. or whatever. Or what about Sunoco 100 octane leaded? Can we run that? <laughs> <laughs> well it'll run on all these things mm-hmm. uh in some cases you're wasting you know your money but sure so there's basically three three types of fuel that we traditionally use gasoline available mm-hmm. you know from your local gas station yep. uh lantern fuel which that's all i ever run that's the camper fuel right the camper it's camp it's camper fuel correct and finally, uh, there's specialized fuels. If you go to Home Depot, you'll find something called True Fuel. Uh, there's another one that I can't think. And I, I think still has their own brand of fuel, yeah. and somebody else has one. Um, also, a company called VP Racing, which makes oh, yeah. oddly enough racing fuel. Mm-hmm. Well, they they make a fuel for these types of engines as well. Uh, some of them have oil in them. Some of them do not. Um, obviously you're going to have to put oil in any of them, regardless of what it is, because it's a two stroke motor and or engine and it needs oil. But back to the fuel thing, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a fan of gasoline at all because it has a horrible odor. Yeah. And thanks to the EPA, fuel is a boutique substance. It changes throughout the year. Uh, with different blends based on where you are and what time of the year it is. Mm. And some of those blends smell much worse than others. I keep all of my models in the house. You bring one in hot and it'll smell the whole house up if you're running gasoline. So uh, a guy named Bill Metter, I don't know if either of you remember him. He's in Mississippi. Uh, One of the pioneers of gas helicopters, actually. Uh, decided to run lantern fuel or camper fuel, found that it works just fine. And it smells like you're barbecuing. It has little to no odor and it runs just fine. It's a little bit more expensive. I mean, gasoline now is about 250 or so a gallon for mm-hmm. regular gas and lantern fuel at Walmart's about eight bucks. So it's a little bit more, but not a whole lot. But depending on you know, based on the amount of flight time you're getting out of it, uh, basically a gallon of fuel is 128 minutes of flight, more or less. Wow. So that's that's a lot for eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Your average 700 size glow engine is using about four dollars, four fifty to f- somewhere between four and five dollars every flight. Yeah. With the ga- gas helicopter, you're using about fifty cents worth of fuel, no matter what it is. So significantly more uh, price efficient, effective. Uh, finally, the uh, specialized fuel, they're very expensive. That stuff's uh, somewhere between 16 and $25 a gallon. And, you know, if that's what you want to run, great. Uh, I can't get it here. It's very hard to get. And um, I'm not going to pay that much for the fuel. Might as, well be running, might as well be running glow fuel for that kind of Mm-hmm. kind of expenditure but i d- have done tests on our uh, testing platform using gasoline and lantern fuel and oddly enough it really didn't make any difference it's very close to the same performance either way so i'm a big fan of lantern fuel camper fuel and will be uh that's in fact all i'm gonna run um I'll touch briefly on oils. There's a lot of oils. Everybody's got their own theory about oils. Mm-hmm. 
Um, primarily, you want to use something that's synthetic, designed for two-stroke engines and a premix. Uh, most people are running Redline or um, Amsoil or uh, Steel Ultra. Uh, there's a couple of other ones, Motul. So a few other things that, that people run. You just want a good grade synthetic. Don't buy stuff, you know, off-brand Walmart oil. I just had a recent customer who had engine damage because he was using some off-brand oil that didn't didn't lubricate well. I mean, it is an industrial engine, but they have been tuned out to the edge of what that platform will support in terms of heat right. and friction. Yeah. And so yeah, you want to extra rpm is a big correct Mm -hmm. yeah the basic zenoa engine you know those things run on your yard implement nine thousand rpms the boat guys are running them 20 so you there's there's you're pushing a platform further than it's was typically used so you want to take some extra precautions uh, big arguments about oil people get into all kind of fights about what's the best (laughs) um each modifier has their own recommendation. Best thing to do is use what they tell you they should. You should use. They can tell when they get it back what you've used because they know what it's gonna, what it's going to look like. Right. And if you, you blow it up using something they didn't recommend, they may not warrant it. Yeah, yeah. I would just reiterate what you said. A a good quality name brand synthetic, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Don't don't buy the cheapest you can find. Just get something decent. Yeah, I mean, even if it's like a little bit on the expensive side, what, what's the mix? Forty to one, fifty to one, or something? I mean, thirty-two. But yeah, it's not to a one, huge so. amount. Yeah, you're not using a lot per gallon. So now with the small engine, the GT15, which is more of an oddity these days, mm-hmm. uh, I run a much higher oil ratio with that. I run more like ten percent oil in that. That's like wow. 12, 12 ounces per ga- per gallon. Oh wow! Okay. Because it's it's sort of a glow engine design. Yeah, it uh-huh. needs it needs a fair amount of oil to keep it happy. But if you keep it uh, if you keep it ha- happy with oil and keep it tuned right, it seems to run just fine. Okay. Um, anyway, fuel um, regular eighty seven octane is fine. You run higher octanes. Unless your engine was designed to require it because it's got a higher compression ratio, really all you're going to do is spend more money and make it run hotter. Other than that, you really won't see much difference, no matter what else you put in it. Try to get pure gas without ethanol. I I can buy it here at several stations. I know some areas can't get it, so really don't want ethanol if you can help it. Another advantage to camper fuel, there's no ethanol in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clean and it's very consistent, I've found. Its octane level is about 60. Okay. I think I was like three feet away from your uh, camper fuel jug, (laughs) you know, in the camper at Urchin. I did not smell a thing. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's why I switched when I got the camper. I had been running gas, Aline. Uh, Always pure gas because, like I said, I could buy it here. It's a little more expensive. But with the camper and been in a closed uh, place and then even in the house I got tired of being yelled at because of the stinky gas in the house so <laughs> I switched and it's it's been working great yeah awesome 
Now, on the engine thing, we talked about these Zanoas. Um, there's another engine out there, um, somewhat common. It's made by OS Max. It's called the GT15. Mm-hmm. There have been three different versions of it. It's started life as a OS 91, and they have modified it to run gasoline. The current version has uh, a Walbro carburetor on it, just like the Zanoas do. It has had an interesting past. Um, like a lot of things OS does, they have to make several attempts before they get it to work properly. <laughs> and some of the earlier versions were not particularly reliable unless you were very careful with it. And I found that an awful lot of people treat it like a glow engine, which you couldn't do. I mean, you you know, a lot of people put their glow engines in, they take it out of the box, they put it in, they run it wide open. And you couldn't do that. It would self-destruct if you did that. Um, they are now, like I said, on their third version. They've incorporated a lot of the changes that uh, we suggested as well as they found on their own. And it appears to be working properly. Now, the goodness about that is we designed a conversion for it. The five, the Goblin 570 conversion uh, okay. uses it. And I think we're going to see a couple of more come along uh, in the next year or so, if this remains reliable, that you can put it in. Nice. And this has a big weight advantage in that, uh, you know, it doesn't have the weight of a Zenoa engine. The downside is it doesn't have the power either. Um, it's... It works really well in a 50-size helicopter, even though it's a 90-size engine. So it's not a bolt-in. The helicopter has to be designed around this engine. You've got to have a different fan and shroud and clutch and gearing than you would on a typical 50 because it's a 700-class it's a engine. Right. But the upside of that is it's using about a half an ounce of gasoline or camper fuel a minute. So it's really cheap to run. Oh, I bet. So I, I imagine that works really well in the 570. I was thinking the power was even lower than a than a 50-size engine. But you're saying it's right up there with that. So if, it, it, it does pretty well, yeah. A 570 to, say, 600-size Haley would work pretty well then. I think five five fifty blades seem to be about the right fit for it. Okay, yeah. You can run five seventies. It depends on your flying style. The more aggressive you want to be, you probably want shorter blades. Okay, all right. Because again, again, it's not a one hundred five. It's uh, yeah. sure. Although I have a conversion, you can put a one hundred five in a five seventy. This is not it. <laughs> <laughs> I flew. Who did I fly? I flew um, Chris's. Chris's. Yeah, he had your the ninety one conversion that you made in in the five seventy, and that thing was a beast. <laughs> did you get like a two minute flight time because it sucked the fuel so quick? Yeah, I think he had to get an ex- an additional <laughs> tank somewhere mounted somewhere on that. I think it was a beast, though. Yeah, it was a beast. Um, so with with the GT fifteen, right? You're saying that it's not going to produce the power, or it produces similar power to a 60 size motor, a uh, glow engine, right? Approximately, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I need to do some more testing with the new version to make sure it, it meets what I think it should in terms of reliability. Yeah. But it has, it has already uh, done better than 
uh, I think most people would expect it to. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I'd heard of a lot of problems with the other one and just overheating and weak and just not great. So it's, it's good to hear they're uh, trying to improve it. Yeah, bad things would happen. In fact, bad things happen with all of these when you overheat them. Uh, it happens with glow engines as well. You overheat them, bad things are going to happen, and uh, it can get pretty catastrophic. Yeah, how about they- that, Steve? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with my motors. They run perfect. <laughs> well, I I put a hole through a '55 piston about a month ago. I it was telling me it was lean, but I for whatever reason wasn't listening and. <laughs> Okay. That was that was a rebuild. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I've I've proactively taken my nitro out of my rotation. Right now. <laughs> uh, mainly, mainly due to you know at Ericho, I was flying and I was kind of I was definitely deep in that that torque range and and then it was bogging a little and then I was like I let off and was hovering and was like why isn't the RPMs coming back? Well, we should say before you let off, you doubled down on the pitch. Yeah, and just like, <laughs> I was, I was, I was. Yeah, I the was, motor's starting to struggle. Oh, let's just give it some more. Just keep, keep at it, keep at it. It's holding on that needle fine. It's fine. And then I let off, and it's like, uh, like okay, just. But but I have to say, I've probably put I don't know maybe like. I don't even know how many gallons, but I've had that motor with the way it's been set up, the same tune for over two seasons. So, you know, it's time for a rebuild anyways. Sounds like uh, you're going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't blow it up. I didn't blow it up. I mean, it's fine. It's still running. It's still running. It, just, oh, it, okay. was, it was very tired. It was tired. Done. And I think if I took the muffler <laughs> off and looked at the ring, it'll probably be shiny. So I'll, I'll swap it out. No, no big deal. I have the parts and I actually have a, a gold edition motor I'm going to put in there anyways. So I was kind of saving it for that. Nice. Um, so do you have any good tips and tricks for someone new getting into gasers like myself? Uh, yeah, make sure you listen to somebody who has one working. And uh, if you're going to fly with them, it's a really good idea to get whatever it is they have because mm-hmm. they will be able to help you uh, set yours up uh, where it's almost guaranteed to work. There's not as many secrets to it anymore. Again, uh, if you look at Gas Powered Thoughts or you look at some of the YouTube videos, uh-huh. uh, go on various forums, call me, email me, whatever, you'll get uh, the correct advice to get your whatever kind of model you want based on your brand and uh, you know the right engine, right blades, right muffler. And all you do is build it. You know, it was, uh, if, if you pay attention to the break-in process mm-hmm. and the instructions provided by that for that, I think you're going to have success. I mean, the models, it's not like it used to be just like helicopters aren't like they used to be. It used to sure. be a miracle, if it, miracle if it would fly. Yeah. Now it's a miracle if it won't fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. I think I gotta, I gotta get my, uh, my funds all in order and I think I'm going to definitely talk to you. <laughs> Be happy to uh, help you however I can. Awesome. Uh, so, Andy, why don't you take this? Uh, yes. I guess this will be the last question here, too. Yeah. What about new products? Is, is there anything new in the pipeline maybe you can tell us about that's 
didn't work so well? So the uh, 55 conversion for the 570 is done. Uh, it's available now. And it, it uses the same platform as the GT15 and the 105 conversion. It's just been modified to use the, the OS Max 55 or a, a YS60. Uh, it, it's a beast. Um, it's actually in production. I know there's a guy in Europe who may or may not make one. Uh, that's kind of gone dark. I don't know what's happened. Yeah, we spoke about, actually, we talked about both of these when you, uh, released it Mm -hmm. and Uh we spoke about the, the other one, the, whatever it is, MRCI, MRCI, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what happened with that. Like it it was all announced at rotor live, but then I haven't seen anything. It's almost like he just disappeared. So I don't really know if that's going to be available or not. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that the most, in my opinion, the most significant problem with producing something like this is what do you do with a fan shroud? Because you're going to have to mold one or you're going to have to find one. And the expense of molding something, you'll never get the money back ever. Yeah. It'll be it'll be the cost of that shroud will will equal what the rest of the kit costs and you'll never sell enough of them to get the money back. They may have figured that out and realized that uh, that's going to be an expensive part. I don't know. We use an existing shroud in ours, uh, so it works fine. As I said, it's it's in the box. It's ready to go. It's in the store. Nice. Um, I am going to carry whiplash gas models sometime in the near future. Oh, that's great news. Oh, yeah. Parts will have to come. I'm not going to keep a part stock because the parts are, there's lots of parts. But if you want to buy the kit, we'll have, I'm going to get, I want to make a performance version, which is a little bit different than the standard kit. Plus, we've got all the other stuff you need to make it fly. So um, I hope to have that in the near future. We haven't talked about TRM very much. TRM is my primary engine provider. Uh, Algament is TRM. He had a uh, shop slash house fire about a month ago and destroyed all of the equipment he needs to make engines. So at the moment, he cannot make or repair engines. I think it's going to be several months before he's back in production on that. Uh, in the interim, what I'm going to do is I'm talking to an, a, another provider uh, who I expect to have an engine next week to do some testing with. So nice. I, I, I expect to have engines that can be uh, acquired or repaired in the near future. So when he comes back, when TRM comes back, I'll have two engine lines and you can nice. pick and choose between them. Nice. Um, there may be some uh, other GT15 options down the road a little bit. We'll see. Still working okay. on that. Okay. I think that's probably it for new products for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, how often do gasser engines need to be rebuilt, or you know, main like maintenance wise, as far as like the ring and the piston and stuff? If you don't damage it by running it lean, hundred hundreds of flights hundreds and hundreds of flights they are it's an industrial motor so it's made to run hard and run ugly so um 
they are pretty durable. If, now, if you get it lean or overheat it, they will. You can wipe it out in one flight. But if you keep plenty of oil in the uh, fuel and you run it uh, where it needs to be in terms of mixture, it will run for a very long time, untouched. How about durability and crashes? Well, like everything, it depends on how you hit the ground. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you hit on the muffler side, there's a fair chance you're going to break the cylinder at, as it would be in a glow engine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hit, um, on the carburetor side, again, you might break the cylinder because mm-hmm. it's sticking out pretty far. Uh, for the most part though, if you chicken dance it or something, obviously that's a problem. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's. It's pretty durable aluminum. It, it just kind of depends on how you hit the ground. It's hard to answer that question because it depends. Yeah. There's too many depends on it. Yeah, too many variables for sure. But like if you, you know, if you just like had a tip over, you don't have to worry about the crank going out of balance or anything. Weird. Not not likely, no. Okay. I would say generally the gasser's not the one you want to be hitting the ground with every weekend though. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. they're he- they're generally heavier so just the rest of the helicopter will break more stuff. Okay. Now I will say this, um, you know, we make a lot of different conversions. The conversions are very durable. Uh, of all of them I have sold, I have sold very few frame parts for replacement and I know they're being crashed. So they appear to be very durable. Hold up. Well, yeah. Okay. I do have one last final question on the main topic here. Okay. And that is, how many VX returns do you have in stock, and will I be able to get one before <laughs> they go out? <laughs> well, actually, I have one 310 Sport <gasps> Edition engine left. Oh, no. <laughs> this, this is the uh, um, lower RPM version. Oh, okay. That's that's all I have in stock right now. The engine I'll be testing is a 310 uh, but it'll be some time before I'm ready to let those go. Mm. So what's the difference between the Sport and the other one? Is there like a, a Pro model or a Pro edition or something? <clears throat> there's a special edition and a special? Sport edition. Okay. The difference, there's no difference in the balance. The balance is the same across both of them. Mm-hmm. The difference is in the porting. Uh, the Sport edition is more of a 12,500 RPM engine, and the special edition is more of a 13,500 RPM engine. Okay. You definitely want the special edition. Steve. Yeah, but it might be a while, so I'm like, no, no, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> yeah. And well, you might as well just send it to me to break it in because we all know you can't hover. So, <laughs> but I don't have to hover though, right? I can sport fly it, right? Well, you need to fly it gently for the first few flights. Yeah, I can sport fly it gently. I could just yeah. pretend to do a low head speed flight, you know, where I just don't do much. I just agree to disagree. Now, if you want a, a th- <laughs> if you want a three hundred, uh, you can still get the three D Max from BH Hansen. He can probably ship you one tomorrow. As far as I know, he does is not offering a three ten. Okay, that would actually probably be just fine, Steve. I mean, I I'm sure there's a difference in power, but I haven't really noticed a huge difference in the three hundred and the three ten. I mean, I'd have to run them back to back, and I'm sure you've probably run them on the dyno, carry, but I didn't. I didn't feel a huge difference. 
I think it was about, it, I don't have the graphs in front of me. It was at least 15%, if I remember properly. 15%, huh? Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, more than, it was more than none. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't the 35% of a, of a tuned pipe. Now, to be fair, with a tuned pipe, it may be even wider. But, again, I, I only test that for fun, kind of. At any rate, uh, that's the only engine I have sitting on the shelf right now yeah. and will be the only one I have from TRM probably until March. Yeah. Wow. Again, uh, Hanson can get you one probably tomorrow, and uh, I will have three tens when they're ready, which hopefully will be before the end of the year. Yeah, I'm looking on Hanson's site. They seem to have a 310 RC3D Max, I guess. Yeah, he won't sell it to you though. No, it's on his site, but won't sell it. At least huh. he would. He wouldn't sell it. It wouldn't. Really? Within the last couple of months, he wouldn't sell it. Huh. I wonder why Are, that is. Uh, according to Raja Bortkosh, it's not balanced to his liking. I don't know. I haven't seen one. Haven't flown one. I don't know. All right. Well, I'll I'll be in contact with you regardless. Maybe we'll see. You know. Cool. You need someone to test something. I don't know. Just see if there's anything we can work out. Um, all right. Andy. Yes. We haven't done this in a long time. Should we do a top 10 with Carrie? Yeah, let's, let's burn through this real quick. Okay. So, Carrie, we have a top 10 section where we're just going to shoot off 10 quick questions. And okay. just, you know, um, it's kind of like One, what two. your preferences yeah. are. And you just kind of spitfire the answer that you have. So, um, is this a is this a round robin thing where each person does the answer or is it all directed at me? No, no, it's all directed at you. Yeah, it's just kind of oh, like okay. a little, you know, get to know you, but just in a fun way of uh, yeah, just quick answer top yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fine. All right. So the first question is, oh, actually, so let's do the top ten shotgun round. All right, I'll do the first question, Andy, and yep. uh, here we go, Carrie. Uh, pinch or thumb. Uh, pinch. Okay. All right. We well, already know this, but nitro, electric, or gas? Gas. <laughs> yep. uh, say 500 size or 550 size and bigger? Uh, both. Okay. Okay. When's the last time you flew a fly bar? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been years. I don't know. It's been quite a while. Okay. <laughs> All right. No worries. Uh, sport or 3D? Sport. Mm-hmm. Transmitter strap or strapless? Strap. Okay. Uh, cordless or brushless servos? Uh, brushless. Nice. Okay. Uh, fuselage style or pod and boom? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. I prefer a fuselage style. Most, most of my helicopters are pod and booms. Okay. Okay. And then low head speed or high head speed? Uh, medium to high. Okay. And with, with, you, ga- with gas, there's no savings, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So would you prefer bigger events like Urcha or smaller events like local clubs? Uh, I tend to go to big events. Okay. Nice. All right. Nice. Cool. And that, that was, was it. it. Yeah. Not too bad, I right? Passed. Yay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there's no real wrong answer. <laughs> I was I was waiting for the gotcha questions. Like, <laughs> all right, we got him now. Yeah, yeah. No, you got every one of those correct. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. Was there was there a bet to see how I was going to answer them? No, no, no. <laughs> I, it's just curious. Sometimes people are like, pitch your thumb. Hybrid. <laughs> like, you know, like one hand is a pitch, one hand is a thumb. Or they kind of do a thumb with a overlay of their pointer fingers around the sticks. You know, so. Or they'll go into a eight-minute uh, explanation yeah. of the answer. It's like, well, I'll give you the eight-minute explanation. I learned to fly with a single-stick radio. Oh, wow. nice. And that was, uh, you know, you had the knob that handled three functions and then a slider that handled collective and, and throttle. And when I transitioned to two-stick, uh, it, it was an immediate, you know, I got to do this with a pinch style. And I used to use trays. When I uh-huh. first started, because it was it was hard for me to switch from single to dual. Mm, yeah, I used to use trays, and um, so I've always learned to pinch. So I, my sticks are are pretty long, which uh-huh. aggravates anybody else that tries to fly my transmitter. But yeah, was That's the right. single single stick setup like was that the the thing the popular one back in the day? It was very popular. Um, you know, they were. There were several of them that are really high quality. I had something called a ProLine, which at the time was the finest transmitter you could buy. Uh, that was before uh, Fataba was really making high-end servo or high-end transmitters. A company called Kraft. Kraft, was I heard of them. Yeah. That that was the you know if you had a Kraft, you had the fancy model. And yeah. ProLine had this fine CNC machined. Uh, stick so it was very high quality gimbal set up on it their mm-hmm. electronics left a lot to be desired but the transmitter was pretty cool and they still exist today hey, there's there's people out there flying these things Fataba made a single stick um, several people did Curtis I think may still fly single stick in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he adapted a, you know, a more current electronics to the to the uh, single stick chassis, it uh, it's a different way of flying, and it uh, it makes it easier to uh, if you have if you have reaction issues with your hands in any way. Well, you've only got to deal with one hand really, because the one that you're moving the collective and throttle with is just a slider, and that's pretty easy to control. It's not like you're moving a stick around in an open yeah. gimbal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Plus, I think coordinated turns kind of get easier. I guess I don't know. Well, it I I did learn to coordinate turns very early because yeah. it's, it's easy to do. So right. yeah. it's not really a twist problem and now. Turn right, twist and twist and move. Yep. Yeah, twist and bank. Right. Yeah, so it's nice and easy. Um, cool. All right, so let's uh, move it on to news and announcements. All right, I'll say news and announcements. All right, what do we got? We have the Northeast Model Helicopter Jamboree. Oh, yeah. The dates have been announced. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Same everything. every year. <laughs> this yeah. is our, our buddy, Chris Rybert, or Rebert, if you happen to be Bill, Bill Ann. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, August 30th through mm-hmm. September 1st, Yep. which is Labor Day weekend. Yep. Uh, go check it out. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I've never heard, I mean, I've only heard good things about this event. I wish it wasn't 87 yeah. hours away. I would definitely go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's up in Rochester, New York. It is uh, 
it's pretty close to uh, Niagara Falls. Uh-huh. It's about uh, an hour away from Niagara Falls or so. Yeah, I mean, this is an event that I've ever since I got into RC helicopters. I think um, I've been going to this just because you know I, I met Chris early on in my RC heli career, uh-huh. and um, yeah, this is kind of the the go to event for the Labor Day weekend, and and it's an event that I bring my family to because we we also do make a trip up to Canada, um, usually on the Sunday and Monday of that weekend just to kind of you know go visit the our our friends up north and where the US dollar is strong and and it's not and, <laughs> and I find their money <laughs> I find their money so funny because it's made out of plastic but um you know um it's just cool it's a great event it's um the Rams RC field so definitely yeah if you're anywhere in the northeast area you definitely should check yeah, it out absolutely. if you can make it if you're anywhere close yeah it's a little bit too much of a hike for me in the wrong time of year, but I would love to make it up there someday. Yeah, I mean, it's a five-and-a-half-hour drive for me, and I know you're, like, what, 12 hours from me, so. Yeah, yeah it'd it's probably a, be, uh, yeah, it'd be a yeah 18-hour drive, probably. <laughs> yeah, easily. Um, but, yeah. So, check that out. Just a note about that. Um, since RC Flight Deck is no longer, he, um, I worked with Chris to develop a Google Forms to do the pre-registration so definitely you know pre-register it, it guarantees you your your shirt size uh he has the greatest event shirts um him and hod i would say those two are the the, the best event shirts i've ever gone and um yeah it's always <laughs> a cool design different every year yeah yeah i think uh last year was was last year the star wars one yeah Maybe. and then there, before then there was like the the, like the NBA logo, you know, but with the model helicopter. So, so he definitely put some thought into it and he has a designer design them and they do some great work. So yeah. is that a Google form sort of available or is that something secret and private? Because, no, no, it's available. you know, a lot of events that we're using, uh, uh, that, that, uh, forum are looking for another way to do things. Yep. All it takes is a Google account. So you start up a Gmail account or you have a Gmail account. You just go to drive.google.com and you can click on create form. You could create the form the way you like it with pictures and everything. And then you could also have all the responses go into a Google sheet, an Excel spreadsheet. So then it's easy to track and manage. And then it's easy to translate that information into the AMA form. So yeah, definitely recommend, um, using Google forms if, you know, Unless your your website has a different method of of doing a registration, might have a kind of like an e commerce site built in thing that you can do. That's great too. But um, if not, this is a free and easy way of setting up uh, a registration. Now you missed my point. I was looking for a lazy solution. Are you going to make that form available? Not one that I have to make. <laughs> <laughs> I can. Yes, I can definitely make that available. I can make a generic one that you can customize very little by like your. You know your pricing and your 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 description and stuff. Yeah, for sure. That that'll take me literally thirty seconds to do anyway. So if people want that, let me know. Cool. All right. What else we got here? We got another. Next fun on the list is the my little fun fly nice. here in Morristown, Tennessee. Uh, Cherokee RC Flyers, August twenty fourth and twenty fifth. I'm going to get light towers for night flying. So plan to stay late if you come. On Saturday night, we'll do a pilot dinner around 7 p.m. And it's it's a mixed event. Airplanes, helis, mm-hmm. whatever you got, EDFs. I think I'm going to have a pretty decent turnout this year. So if you're in East Tennessee, yeah. within two or three hours, come 
hang out with us. Yeah, definitely. Good time. And then the next thing I saw here is if you didn't get to go to Urcha, now you can fly at Urcha Center Stage on AccuRC. Does it have the banners and stuff out there? It does. Cool. It even has the Whirlybird symbol in the center of the center stage, the WB. The question is, does the Scorpion banner have clothes on it? <laughs> that, that I couldn't tell. <laughs> nice. I, yeah. that, I couldn't tell from the video of the guy flying, but as soon as I put, <laughs> fire up my sim, I'm going to check. And that the, was that was so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, because I I don't even I don't even remember like so I remember when I got there on Thursday I was like oh cool they have the banner out there and then obviously Scorpion has that same banner in the the back yeah, of there. Yeah, you see it everywhere. So yeah, don't pay any attention. And then I think it was like Saturday. I'm like, what the hell happened to the banner? <laughs> George took it really well. I he took it a lot better than I would have because I guarantee you that's an expensive banner and somebody just went out there and painted over it. It's like really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've sure. heard they got his permission first, actually. Yeah, he maybe. maybe oh, well, that's good. Maybe somebody yeah. complained because it was too, um, you know, suggestive. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Been to uh, a beach lately? Really? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Since you were doing events, can I throw one out? Oh, oh absolutely, yeah, for sure. Whatever you got. Uh, I don't think they've announced the actual date, but I suspect the um, Torches Winter Bash is going oh, yeah. to be December the 7th and 8th. Mm-hmm. That's the normally the weekend it falls on. Um, Kyle or Mike Gata will, will send out an email mm-hmm. probably on Facebook when they come up with the dates, but I think that's when it is. The point is, there's going to be an event in Orlando, either the 7th or the 14th, so keep your eyes out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like we said before, it's, it's, it's a great event to go to. Like, I, yeah. I was sad that I missed last year, but if something doesn't happen, I will definitely be there again this year just because it's fun to hang out with all those guys. And like we, like we said, why not go to Florida in December? Yeah, it's the best time of year, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what you guys see there. Uh, I was always struck by I used to listen to the RC Heli Nation guys all the time and they were they were struck by the difference in the way fun flies operate on the West Coast versus the East Coast. You know, most of the fun flies I've ever been to, when it gets dark, most people go out to dinner and hang out and have uh, adult beverages and hey, may come back to the field or may not. Apparently on the West Coast, once you get to the field, you ain't leaving and you ain't going to sleep. You just stay there flying 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like depending on the crowd, it's kind of similar. Like, I mean, yeah, when I, I think you know, it depends on where you are. Yeah. Like, I've definitely been to East Coast events that you go to bed about three in the morning mm-hmm. uh, and you never leave once you're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I've never been to the West Coast events, so I'm not sure. But yeah, well, I remember Justin uh, talking about both at Urcha and when they came over to OHB. I mean, it gets dark here; everybody goes to dinner and yeah. come come back do a night fly, and that's pretty much it. And yeah. apparently, they fly until nobody can fly anymore until <laughs> <laughs> they pass out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they're more hardcore than we are. Yeah. But I've uh, been to some pretty hardcore events, I'll, you know, around 
the North Carolina area will just say that sure. there's stuff going on all night long. Yeah. Those are great unless you're actually trying to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring earplugs. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else do we have? One last thing. One right? other thing I saw here is there's a firmware update for Brain 2, 3.2.054. I didn't really see a whole lot of changes to it. Uh, some like F, a lot of FR Sky integration updates and changes. Mm-hmm. But there is a software update for the apps and then a new Jetty.bin file. If you're running Jetty integration. Nice. So if you're running Brain 2, check that out and see if it's something you're interested in. I'm curious, what was the other, like the, the previous version? Was it a th- still 3.2? Yeah. So it's just an incremental update. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm curious, are, are people in your areas flying the new uh, Fataba 760 gyro? Mm, I only know Robert Monty flying it. Who do you know, Steve? Has anybody got one? I mean, my way, not really. I mean, we're all kind of the northeast. This area, it's a lot of icon and and V bar. Um, I would say like, uh, yeah, probably more of the southern folks. I think I could break it down even more than that. People flying F three C or competition are all flying Futaba. Yeah, and most everyone else is either flying Brain or Icon or I mean Brain or V bar. Yeah. And course, I do know, I do know one person in, um, there. yeah, they're, they're sprinkled out there. Like I know one person in Long Island, I went to a fun flying day were flying the, I don't know if they're flying, I think they were flying the 760 or the 750, but they're basically saying that the, they're flying the Futaba because of the, the tail, that the tail stops are just way faster and better. Uh-huh. I'm shrugging because I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I run 50% expo on my tail. I can't tell the difference on anything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I asked that for two reasons. First off, there was somewhat of a buzz at Urcha about uh, people were trying it and liking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you, we started this off with you talking about issues with your Neo, which yeah. I seem to hear more about lately than I used to than I remember used to hearing. Yep. Yeah. And mm-hmm. very similar to your describing, it's working and then the lights off and it's not talking anymore. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, I've I've entertain the idea of moving maybe trying out futaba but then i looked at the prices i said i can't do that <laughs> you know well as a as a as a neo what is it the neo with pro that much less expensive i mean without the rescue part just a neo pro it's it's half the price really the part. yeah it's about half the price yeah what is a 760 now for something uh i will you know i will look i don't know exactly so Neo's two fifty, and then the Pro's what, like thirty bucks, Steve? Or yeah. Then Rescue's like a Pro Rescue's a hundred bucks. It's a hundred, yeah. But I, so I don't, personally, I don't buy the Rescue. Yeah, you said it. It didn't work great with Nitro, right? Yeah, it didn't work great, anyways. <laughs> it's just Nitro, just too much vibes, right? So it has a hard time actually. So it looks like uh, seven sixty by itself is three hundred sixty nine dollars. Which one was I looking at? Because I thought I saw it for a lot more money than that. Well, the first one, you need a control box. So uh, that's yeah, four. yeah. So that's what I'm looking at on A-Main. The Futaba CGY 760R with the GBP1 programmer is $475. That's what I was looking at. So it's almost $500. Then you need a transmitter. Then I need a transmitter. And that's the other problem with uh, Futabas don't fit my hands very well. The, the 
switch spacing on the top is too narrow for me. Um, well, that's that's something new. You don't need a transmitter. It you if you have another receiver, you can plug it into the S bus slot. Mm. Oh, if you okay. Have, if, if you have an S bus enabled receiver, it can talk to it over the uh, S bus slot on the gyro. The right off the bat, it didn't do that, but the latest software version, it will. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Now the integration with your transmitter would—that'll have to be a Fataba transmitter. But yeah, and that's probably the only way I would move over is to have that integration. I can't go from having integration to not <laughs> like it. Just you can't go backwards, you know. Um, I feel you can't go backwards in technology. You always have to move forward. I would love to try one out because yeah, I've only yeah. heard good things. It's just when you yeah. got a bunch of models and you've already got one system, uh, it's I understand. Difficult to switch yeah. over. Yeah, I was just curious what you'd seen. Does Futaba yeah. still have that issue where it doesn't bind to a receiver? That like you can possibly start up a model with the wrong model settings on your radio with the the flybar tuner? Uh, as far as I know, you could still do that. Okay, that's another big con for me because <laughs> no, I that's have, a huge pro, Steve, because you can fly two models at once. Yeah, or crash two models at once. <laughs> could do a, your a tandem. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> that'd be freak. That'd be freaky. Oh my god! Imagine just like even two small helis, like two oxy threes, that just like take off and synchronize movements. One would be crashed in ten seconds. <sighs> yeah. Which one back do you look to, at? <laughs> yeah, really. Back to the uh, XL Pros I had. Those Pro models. Mm-hmm. They, I had two identical models. They flew on the same program. The only difference was you it may require a couple of clicks of idle trim between them. Other than that, they flew the same. It was the same program even. Uh-huh. Nothing nothing had to change. Those things were great. That's cool. Okay. Is that all for news announcements? Should we move it I on? I guess, unless Carrie has something. You got anything? No, I just want to talk about the, uh, the Torch's Winter Bash. Yeah. Thanks for letting me mention that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. If you're... If you're listening to this podcast and you're in that area, you definitely need to stop by. Um, even if you're not in the area, if you can make it yeah. and take the time off. Yeah, work, I'm driving but, like 12 hours to get there. So, but Galaxy's Edge will be open at Disney World by then. Yeah, I, I thought about trying to get, um, you know, kind of swing it by the wife, be like, "Hey, we'll go to Disneyland for I mean, Disney World for a couple of days, and then I'll do this event. You can still take the kids to Universal or something." I don't know. Just have her drop you off, and you can stay in a camper, and then they can go do Disney World, and you won't have to do it. Yeah, I mean, win I you know, I don't mind doing that stuff with my kids, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, then my FOMO starts to come in. I'm like, damn, I'm missing out on that, and then I'm, oh no, I'm missing out on the event. It's like, what do I do? What do I do? So, yeah, uh, actually, we'll quite a, quite a few people do exactly that. Dad yeah. gets dropped off at the field, and the family uh-huh. goes goes to the park. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, all right. What's next for you in the hobby then? What's next for you, Steve? Uh, I got nothing written here. but uh, nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I got to do some wrenching. I got actually both my favorite helicopters, the Black Thunder and the Black Nitro, are out of commission right now. So I do have some wrenching to do. So I'll get that going. And hopefully um, we have another TFR this weekend. I mean, you know, come on, Prez. Give us a break here in, you know, New Jersey. It's like, I think this week's TFR is 10 days long. 
So I'm hoping that after this 10 day trip, uh, Trump will kind of, you know, do other things next the following weekend so I could go fly <laughs> at my club and not be grounded. Um, yeah. but yeah, I might, I might have to make it up to, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, um, back up to Rockland or there's a uh, crone on the Hudson. You know, I have a couple of folks there that fly, so I might be able to go out there. Um, and you know, I do have the luxury of, um, of, of this great community that we are all part of the RC community that we have like basically flying fields outside of the TFR that are, that we can go fly as a guest. But, um, I think they're more of the, the plane aspects. So I don't want, I don't know, feel a little weird. Say, hi, I'm flying here because of TFR and here's my scary big helicopter. So go run away. <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, but I definitely want to fly. I definitely need to, uh, break in the new motor on the black nitro. So I'll definitely try to at least get a, a gallon or so through that. Um, and go from there. Nice. Cool. And what about you, Andy? Well, there's a pretty good size fun fly in Knoxville at House Mountain RC Club mm-hmm. uh, called Huck Fest. This yeah. is predominantly uh, 3D airplanes. That's cool, though. But mm-hmm. there's several heli guys showing up. So I'm going to try to go down there Saturday and possibly spend the night. They do the night towers and night lights and everything just like we do with the helis awesome um like i said there's several heli guys going so i'm gonna take planes and helis and try to meet some of those guys and hang out for a while yeah sounds good that's the only thing i've got planned all right cool and what about you carrie what's next on your list of things to do so the next thing i'm gonna work on is uh i have a uh whiplash turbine model Ooh, that, that i well i actually converted it about three years ago i built a conversion <laughs> for the whiplash nitro uh, that's different from the one miniature aircraft is going to produce in production mm-hmm. and it, it was based on the original whiplash nitro which had a number of uh drivetrain challenges if you will Mm -hmm. and while i was at urcha i was able to get some new parts from miniature aircraft that will fix those problems so i'm probably going to start trying to back uh backport those parts into it and then it will be safe to fly again nice awesome it's it's very impressive not very practical but very impressive yeah all right um so andy do you want to do a wrap-up or should we just go to the outro (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Should we wait for Kevin? I mean, we always do. We do. Yeah, that is our MO. All right. So we'll do the wrap up when Kevin, when we're all three of us are back on the show. Um, and Let's, we'll, we'll uh, want to do Carrie's contact info and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Before we'll the outro, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Carrie, if someone wants to get in touch with you, someone like myself <laughs> and wants to know, hey, what do I need to get my goblin? Black Thunder Sport um, into a gasser. I want. I really want to now. You know, dip my fingers in the, the gasser pool. How do I? How do I do this? Well, the easiest way would be to send me an email uh, at my personal email address, which is c a r e y dot s h u r l e y at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a Facebook page called, it's actually a group called Gas Powered Helicopters. Yep. You can drop into that and uh, ask questions. 
Um, you can review data on gaspoweredthoughts.com, which is actually a HeliFreak uh, forum that I manage. I also have a Gas Powered Thoughts uh, YouTube channel that's spelled, it's spelled like it sounds. So Nice. Any of those methods, uh, you'll hear from me. Yep. And if you if you want to shop for some stuff, what's your your website? It is store.gas-powered-helicopters.com. Nice. Gas powered helicopters. The URL is owned by a guy in uh, Australia. It it's just it's parked. He doesn't use it. Yeah. Hmm. I noticed you have links to the forum and some of your other stuff at your I website. Do. So I do. Yep. Go check it out and. Yeah, if you just go to shopping. if you just just go to www.gaspoweredhelicopters.com and there's links to all the things I just mentioned there. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Carrie, for taking the time uh, to come on the show and share your knowledge. It's the wealth of knowledge you just shared. It's it's you know it's priceless. Great. So yeah, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Thank thank you so much. No, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for all you do for the hobby. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So drop us an iTunes review and we'll read the review in the next episode. Email us at free4rc at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash free4rc podcast. Check out our webpage, free4rc podcast.show. Show. For show. Uh, say hi to Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, flight test forums, off the field audio and video production. Other than flight test podcast, free4rc podcast. Uh, I used to say sitting next to our friends, but I haven't seen a, FT Communicast release any podcasts in the last nine months, ten months. So I think they're pretty much done. Uh, but give a listen to our other fellow podcasters. We have the RC Heli Hooligans, Walt Ned, Telerotor Podcast, Mike, Mike, and Robert, BKRC Podcast, Bert and Kyle, our friends at the RC Roundtable, it's Terry and Lee. And make sure you check out our friend Bill and YouTube channel. Yeah, I noticed uh, High Voltage with Bobby Watts is cranking out some new oh, episodes. Oh, yeah, so he check is. Check him out. Yes, definitely check out uh, Bobby. He's uh, he's such a great guy to talk to, man. He's, uh, he's such a mover and a shaker and a deal maker, you know, <laughs> uh, an entrepreneur, yep. you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great talking it's to mo- him. Mostly drone content, yeah. but it's still interesting. It's still interesting, yeah, you know. So definitely support him and, and his, you know, our... Even though he's, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, mostly drones, you know, he still flies helis. And it's quite interesting to hear him say, uh, George, wa- George just wants me to do, um, Battle of the Brands for Scorpion. I haven't flown since last year's Battle of the Brands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he still did a great job. So awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks to our listeners. Free our skies. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. All right. Thanks again, Carrie. That's great. And I, I think it, it felt like very short notice. And he was like, I was talking about Can you book it for this Tuesday? And all of a sudden, he's like, yeah. So it seemed like a day or two, and we got this all set up. So Yeah, I think it was yesterday, actually. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. When every day is Saturday, 
It nah. doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely put. I'm so jealous. Oh, I gotta I put that in the. I, I gotta tell Kevin to put that in the blooper reel. But <laughs> 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 every day is Saturday. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't wait till I'm there. <laughs> yeah, me uh, too. I'm jealous. Yeah, 25 more years. Welcome to another episode of Free Fall RC Podcast. I'm Steve, and here with me is Andy. Hey, now. And let's welcome, first time on the show, Carol, Carrie... Wait, let me start that over. Fuck. All right, let's start over. <laughs> Carrie Shirley. Carrie Shirley. Car- Am I saying it right? Carrie Shirley. Yes, that's correct. Okay. I, like, tongue-tied myself reading your name. And <laughs> All right. Here we go again. <laughs> 